Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new spoiler review episode of The Geek. Now we do this part together. Oh, that's right. Buddies! Buddies! Hey! See, without, without McClung, we fall apart. We fall that's apart true. without McClung. He's the cog in the machine that we all need for sure, and sadly, he is not here. He is out of town, but it is me and Michael Vogel tonight talking about Thor love and thunder in a spoiler way so if you haven't seen the film or if you don't care to see the film and you just want to hang out with us then welcome aboard we are going to spoil the whole movie talk about everything that we liked and didn't like i got a feeling as i said in my tweet i'll be bringing the love and mike's going to be bringing the thunder in this discussion uh we'll also get into the post credit scenes and we'll also maybe wrap up by talking about where we see this film fitting in the overall mcu is this a palate cleanser after the drama of multiverse of madness or did this introduce some new aspects to the mcu kind of deftly that we weren't maybe considering at the time when we watched this movie so a lot of things to consider a lot of things to get into and jump into and we will also be answering your stream labs and your super chats as we go along so start sending them in now because we will definitely ask them as i said as we go along but also big love to carbon health who powers and sponsors here carbonhealth.com they power and sponsor the Geek Buddies and the Yellow Nation there. Go I'm usually closer. I'm usually closer to it. Yeah. Now I have to like reach for it. I'm like, Carbon Health, where are you? Uh, you can go to CarbonHealth.com and get your healthcare questions, concerns, uh, and needs addressed by them. Or you can download the app. They have an app uh, to put a doc in your POC. You can ask any questions on the app as well or see if there are any Carbon Health places close to you. And they offer virtual care as well. 125 locations all around the country, 80-plus locations alone in california so so much there to help you with COVID testing your numbers are going up you got to be aware that we're about to go to comic-con uh, uh michael so certainly we're going to be aware of that at least well, I i'm getting i'm prefer- getting COVID. i'm getting COVID. Oh, oh, good. don't bring it to the hotel room i don't want to catch this thing 
I was in Canada. I was at, I, I was I was in Cape Cod two weeks ago. I was in Canada this week. I'm going to Comic Con. Then I go back to Canada again. Then I go to St. Augustine. Like I don't know how I'm making it. I'm glad that we. I'm glad that Carbon Health is on our side. Yeah. Because I feel cool. like the month of August, they're gonna hear a lot from me. I'm gonna be bringing my hazmat suit with me, so we shall see. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Well, let's introduce ourselves real quick as well. I'm the Outlaw John Roca, writer, producer, host here on the Outlaw Nation and the Geek Buddies, Mike. I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer, animated TV shows and movies, and a geek buddy. There you go. Uh, Mike, do you have any Strawberry Shortcake news to say? Anything to announce? I mean, listen, Strawberry Shortcake's going strong. You can check out season one on Netflix right now, um, as well as YouTube. And season two, uh, new episodes are dropping every Saturday on the YouTube channel to be coming to uh, to Netflix sooner than later, I hope. Uh, okay. And uh, and yeah, and we're hard at work on some uh, some forty four minute specials that we're putting together um, for next year. So a lot of strawberry shortcake coming. If you haven't been to the big city, if you haven't been to Big Apple City yet, you should go check it out. <laughs> is that now the things you guys are working on with this? Are is it going to be part of the? Is it part of the next Netflix deal, or is it stuff you guys are already working on that Netflix will get the uh, residue of that? Is that what the situation is? Uh, that is a really good question for business oh. affairs. I know that I make the strawberry shortcake and I know it goes to YouTube first and then it's going to Netflix. I think the specials are just for Netflix though. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. All right. We've got 112 of you watching us right now as we start. We haven't even gotten into the movie yet. So thank you so much for joining us. Please remember to hit a like on this video. If you're watching it later, hit a like and leave a message down there. Comments and likes all elevate the visibility of the stuff we do here on the Geek Buddy. So please feel free to do that. Just pinned it in the chat. The address you need to go to to send any Streamlabs or Super Chats as we go along. We did get one already right off the bat, giving some love to Derek Johnson, who always gives us love here on the live show. Love the show, as always. Thank you, Derek, and thank you for your service. Um, all right, let's move on and have a quick co- – no, well, let's move on just have a conversation. Mike, Thor Love and Thunder came out here. This is the 29th film in the MCU. This is, I think, the eighth time we see Chris Hemsworth as Thor Odinson – Going into this movie, we're coming out of Avengers Endgame and everything that happened there. You know, he put on a little bit of poundage through the Depression. Uh, he has he fell in with the Guardians of the Galaxy leaving there. He handed off New Asgard to Valkyrie. He has lost his father. He has lost his sister, in essence. He's lost his mom, lost his brother. Uh, and here he goes. And, of course, lost Jane Foster in, in that uh, previous Thor film. And now here he goes out into the universe doing these adventures with um the guardians of the galaxy eventually they separate he goes off on a separate adventure jane foster comes back has the hammer he goes after gore the god butcher christian bale a former believer who turns on the gods with the necro sword has a massive battle at the end loses jane uh who ends up in valhalla and but gains a, a daughter so who is his actual daughter in real life so yeah michael vogel thoughts overall on thor love and thunder here in phase four um I thought it was very funny. Yes, and? It's a very funny movie. Uh, no. <laughs> Look, I think, uh, I, I think that Thor Love and Thunder, uh, I think there was really high hopes for it because yeah. obviously when Taika Waititi came in with Ragnarok, like he completely sort of reset what we think of as a Thor movie. Yeah. Um, and then I think 
Thor's journey through Infinity War, through Endgame. Like, I mean, he's definitely one of the highlights of both of those movies. And look, if Multiverse of Madness was not necessarily your jam, which is definitely the camp that I fall in, you were really looking forward to Taika to sort of bring the heat. And I think that we went to go see Thor Love and Thunder on opening night, and I laughed. Like, one of my friends was like, oh my god, you must have really enjoyed this movie. I heard you laughing a lot. And I have a very distinctive laugh. And it's and it is it's a great movie. There's some really it's a very funny movie. There's very good. Uh, there's some really great comic moments, um, and we'll get into them when we dive into the chat. But ultimately, movie left me a little bit wanting. Wow. Um, I feel like, particularly with this, it's very funny. Like Thor Ragnarok, I think is just a blast from beginning to end. But I right. think it also has some really nice moments uh with the characters and i kind of just felt like with this movie even though you had some heavier plot lines going on with jane and with gore and with everything else it was like anytime you got to a moment that felt like it was supposed to like okay let's slow down and have the real emotional moment let's settle in let's do this thing they could barely get away with it before Stormbreaker comes creeping in on the side for a laugh. It was just like, they just couldn't quite get away from let's be as funny as possible. And I think that got in the way of it being a great movie. I think all the pieces were there. uh, And I have great things to say about most of the performances. I think there's some really, really great moments in the movie. And look, maybe it's because I'm such a huge fan of those two big story arcs, the Mighty Thor, which is the Jane Foster arc. And uh, I think it's God of Thunder, which is the Gore the God Butcher arc. I mean, if you're a Thor comic book fan, these are two of like the biggest Thor stories of like the past decade, maybe. Uh, and putting both of them in a movie together, you're you're really asking for a lot. I mean, you're really putting your expectations up there. And I think that because of that, and because of this tonal thing where it just felt like we couldn't really get to some of those heavier moments, um, I was left a little bit wanting. I was a little bit disappointed. Now, I'm, I'm not Multiverse of Madness disappointed, right. but as as we're ranking all of the movies in phase for the love of god please tell us where we're going uh it's closer to the bottom for me okay all right fair enough um i will say this i had a great time with the film and a second time i enjoyed it even more and i'll say this because the first time i felt some of what you felt not not overall i think not to the level that you felt it but i certainly felt like okay why are there jokes in this really critical serious moment why are we defaulting to this why not let this moment breathe a little bit more then come around to the joke once the tension gets a little bit too much why are we already introducing the joke so quickly to kind of de- kind of uh, diffuse the tension here but when i watched it a second time i found myself much more relaxed much more enjoying it because i got what he was intending in the serious moments so i didn't have to spend too much time in them and then moved on to the comedy and enjoyed the performances, enjoyed the connections here. I think they still got some really good emotional beats. Certainly um, Chris Hemsworth and Natalie Portman, I think, had a really great scene uh, near the end there at her hospital bed when we find out that Mjolnir is actually draining her and could kill her. Uh, And then later on, when, of course, when she dies, I think their back and forth there was really uh, moving, was a really moving moment as well, uh, especially because it was, um, connected to what was happening with Gore and kind of changing Gore's heart a little bit as well through their love uh, and making him realize, hey, you know, th- there's a person that you love just as much as I love Thor and he loves me that you can help out in this moment possibly in a different way. So I think there were connective tissues and moving moments here amongst the humor. Did all the humor land? No, but when it did land, it was really good, especially 
when you look at the uh, Odin stuff, uh, sorry, not the the Zeus stuff with uh, yes. Russell Crowe, that was genius. And we get introduced to Omnipotent City. And Michael, this is something I brought up before in other reviews. The I don't think God exists in the Marvel Universe. It's really interesting how they're presenting all these gods and essentially validating all these religions in one city yet there's no god necessarily in this so it's a very interesting path that they're walking here well with this version <clears throat> of the mcu which is a bigger discussion maybe for another time but i just i mean i i have a very i have a very simple answer i just mm -hmm. for all of you uh for all of you guys that like to talk religion and theology um i was talking to somebody about this and i said this and they were like oh good point Oh, um, you're when, going to talk about a good point that you made. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I made a really good point. I just gave myself props. <laughs> I, you, you might not think it's a good point, but I, I was saying that because they were talking about that, like omnipotent city yeah. and Moon Knight and all, like we've seen yeah, so right. many different pantheons Asgard. of gods, yeah. and yeah, the Asgardians, obviously, um, and we've seen the Celestials, and we've seen yes. all of these big right. cosmic forces. Right. But like, you're like. We think of God as creating the universe because we live in this universe. But right. if there were a God, if there is a God above all of it, in a multiversal situation, they're above the multiverse. So right. I think that everything we're looking at in the MCU right now is all of the characters, cosmic and otherwise, that populate yeah. one universe in an endless world of multiverses, which we now know exist. So yeah. if you do believe that there is a higher power that created everything... yeah. That's above all the multiverses. That's still above Kevin Feige's pay grade. Fair enough. Fair enough. Travis Earl saying, uh, LOL, if they make Jesus a superhero, Jesus is a superhero. So I'm just telling you right now. Um, Evangelion007, you're sending questions, and we like to ask them through the Streamlabs and Super Chats. So if you're going to send stuff in, send them through the Streamlabs Super Chats. I've pinned the, uh, the uh, Streamlabs address there in the chat. Feel free to send in Super Chats if you want, although YouTube does take 50%, so we'd prefer you to send in Streamlabs. All right, so we've got our general overall feelings with the movie out of the way. As I said, I'm more love. You're a little more thunder. Um, let's talk about the relationship that is the central part of this film, the comeback of Jane Foster, and let's talk about how that was handled overall. I love. I'll go first here. I mm -hmm. liked her coming back. I enjoyed having Natalie Portman back in the mix here. Um, the chemistry between him, her and uh, Chris Hemsworth has never been better than it was in this movie, in my opinion. I enjoyed the awkwardness of her trying to be funny, trying to find her catchphrase, negotiating that, but also, you know, kind of dealing with what happened in their past, getting Korg to tell us the story of their relationship and how it ended as some relationships do end sometimes with one or the other person being afraid to fully commit because they're afraid that they might lose that person and don't want to go through the devastation of that loss, which you can understand in Thor's point of view because he's lost, as I said, his brother, his mom, his dad, kind of his sister uh so there's been a tony stark chris i mean so, um, steve rogers so he's dealt with a lot of loss through the through the progression of these movies losing jane as well in a way maybe kind of messed with maybe would have messed with him even more so you understand why he has that hesitation here to fully commit so and then by as the film goes along we see that you know it's thor who really does love her really does care about her we see he's on this journey of self-discovery and then by the end, of course, he loses her, but she sacrifices herself to stop the galaxy from being destroyed by Gore the God Butcher. So the ultimate sacrifice as a hero. So did you like the way that they brought her back? Did you like the way that it decorated the film, their relationship here uh, as well as it progressed through the film? And, and did you like the element that you brought? Or uh, was there stuff missing that you wanted to see? Were there 
scenes that were maybe uh, could have been a little more <clears> essential <throat> to drive the point home a little bit more and ground this relationship a little bit more and make us care about it a little bit more. Um, I really loved Natalie Portman coming back as Jane Foster. Okay. I think she's very delightful. I don't think every comic moment she has lands, but I yeah. do think she has a really fun, quirky quality to her that is great. Like that opening scene with her uh, talking to the kid. Yeah. Um, that was that was really adorable. It was lovely. So I thought she was great. I think she, her and Chris Hemsworth have a really nice chemistry with each other. I think yeah. that's really good. So I enjoyed her in the movie. I love seeing her. I would have liked to see more of her. Here's my sort of three-tiered issue, maybe four. Okay. I don't know. I'll count okay. it. One, Jane Foster never struck me as someone who really wanted to be a superhero. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That doesn't seem to be part of her personality. So in this movie, she goes to Milliner uh, to try and like see if it can help with her cancer. Well, the and cancer, then it turns it intention. turns her yeah, and it turns her into Lady Thor. And all of a sudden, she's like, "Hey, I'm I'm fighting bad guys, and I'm coming up with catchphrases, and isn't this so exciting?" But why? Mm -hmm. Like like if she all of a sudden, you know, the the hammer put come, puts itself back together, like. There was no reason to say like, well, the hammer gave did this to me for a reason, and I feel like I have to find that reason, or I need to fulfill something, or I have a goal. Like she didn't really. Her goal was cure cancer, and they make it really clear early on that for her the hammer is not really working for, in right. that respect. Because when she puts it down, it's 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 getting worse. So yeah. she's running around playing superhero, but I don't really know why. And in the Mighty Thor comic, they kind of really built it up to her really liking what she did and feeling that responsibility. Um, the other thing that I think was just more clear in the comic as far as things that I missed, and maybe this was just too hard to explain, um, the whole, like, the hammer is draining her didn't really fully... It was it was kind of a, okay, I guess, I'm not quite sure, and if it is draining you, why are you continuing to hold on to it? Um, whereas in the comic, what happened was um, every time that she was getting the cancer treatment, the chemo, um, when she picked up the hammer to become Lady Thor, it it got rid of all the impurities in her body. Like it right. kind of like acts as a thing. And chemo is an impurity. It's radiation. So it would get rid of it. So every time she became Thor, yeah. it like made her chemo not work. It basically made it invalid. Mm -hmm. But she felt this responsibility to like be this hero and help people. Yeah. And so that was the push and pull. And I feel like that was lost a little bit here. Um, and then... The bigger issue I have is I think Lady Thor is awesome. Mm -hmm. um, she's not really the main character of this movie. So I yeah. think part of my issue here is that Chris, like this movie starts and you go, oh, Thor doesn't really know who he is anymore. Right. Thor is looking to find himself. Thor is trying to figure out where he belongs. Yeah. And then you have this whole Jane Foster storyline that is lovely and their chemistry is great and whatever. But her whole purpose in this movie is to make this really noble sacrifice so that Thor is like, okay, I know who I am now. Right. And I really wish it had been a little bit reversed. I would have loved okay. to see a movie where really Jane Foster and her cancer and her enjoying being uh, the hero was sort of the driving force and Chris Hemsworth's journey was sort of the secondary story. But that's yeah. just me. And like, that's not the story they chose to told, so that's okay. But I do think when they make such a big deal out of Lady Thor and that's such a huge storyline, I feel like ultimately ending it where she did and obviously her her story is not complete clearly right. when you get to right. the ending credits but I, you know i kind of felt like this was more thor's movie and i kind of wanted it to be more lady thor's movie yeah i mean i think you make i'll be honest with you mike i think you make some excellent points uh, one of the things that is a little bit of a snag for me in the film and even though i enjoy the film and i champion the film um is that i felt there should have been more scenes with jane to get us to the hammer 
you know, we're introduced with her, you know, as, as someone who's had a, a relative die of cancer, the cancer thing is a big deal. And I think we could have spent more time with that, her negotiating that, her navigating that. And it seems like Taika was about just checking that box. I'm going to show the scene so people get it. I'm going to show the scene so people get it, as opposed to getting a little more time with her. And you make an excellent point, this idea of, well, once the hammer comes to her and she becomes Lady Thor, it's like, what is this all about? What's my responsibility with this? How do I navigate this? You know, who do I talk to? Maybe there's a scene with her, him, her and um, Valkyrie where they have the conversation about like, well, I don't know if I want this uh, because it's all this kind of stuff. And it's it's a response I was looking for. Is this why the Thor is this why the hammer called me? So to to do this, well, I, I'm so confused about this because in the end she dies anyway. So what is the what is the driver? Because she's stage four. Do we really believe that she doesn't understand stage four when her mom died of cancer? So there's these questions that I have as I as I watch the movie that I was like, yeah, I would have liked some more uh, scenes with her where we see more of her journey. I think you make an excellent point. I absolutely agree with you. That was a problem I had because we don't even see the hammer come together. We save it for when Thor sees the hammer go into her hand. Then we know the hammer is together. We don't see it come together for her and her reaction to it and what that was all about. So, yeah, the whole struggle of whether she should be a hero or not, that would have added a nice color, I think, to the relationship and to her in the film as well. It's a good point. Um, overall, though, yeah, they, they focused on the Thor story. So mm-hmm. let's swing to that now. Do you like that they made it about? I've seen some people complain that, hey, didn't we get to this resolution at the end of Endgame? Isn't he in a better place? Why is he still kind of lost? Why is he still meditating? Why is he still doing all the things that he's doing? And then the opening with the whole Guns and Roses. Some people had issues with it. I loved it. I thought it was a great way to introduce his character, seeing all the Guardians of the Galaxy doing their thing while he's sitting there pondering the world, pondering everything, then stepping up and destroying everybody, including, or the villains rather, and then including destroying their sacred temple. I thought it was a great intro. And then we see him kind of navigating this idea with Jane and navigating love and then has that moment on the ship with Jane where he's telling her, you know, I want to feel shitty uh, about you. I want to care about you. I want to love you now. I realize that this is what was missing from my life. And that kind of spurs him in this battle against Gore the God Butcher. Uh, And in the end, of course, adopts or gets a daughter in exchange here with, with Eternity's powers, you might argue. So do you like that even though it wasn't Jane's story, now that you mentally shifted as you're watching the movie, did you like the way they presented the Thor story throughout the film? Um, I think Chris Hemsworth is so charming that like I could just watch him be Thor on screen for like the next 20 years and just age into being his own Odin, and I would probably oh, yeah. like just be along for the ride. Thor king, um, yeah, sure. but but really, <laughs> I felt like this was maybe one of the more um, like like I didn't fully buy this story. Okay. I felt I, I felt like this story was a bit forced because of what people are saying. I think that what the Russo brothers did, taking him off of Ragnarok, like you look at Thor, like if you really compare Thor's arc in Infinity War, yeah, which is I've lost everybody. Like yeah. I literally like lost most of Asgard and blew thought, the battle and blew and the blew, battle and blew the battle by the end. But but even before you get to him blowing the battle at the end, yeah. you go through this whole thing of him like kickstarting a star building Stormbreaker, coming back to everybody, like, I'm going to save the day. This is going to make it all okay, even though I lost everybody. He has that really powerful scene with Rocket where he talks about losing everyone. And then he loses that battle with Thanos. Like, that's like a hell of a Thor story. And then you get to Endgame where 
he's really let himself go. Yeah. And and it's still very funny, but even when he's like crying to Rene Russo, to, to Frigga, when he's like talking to her, like you really see how how like he's really like he's lost his mojo. Yeah. And so when he comes back at the end with Stormbreaker again and he's like takes it to Thanos a second time, like you're like, this is great. So and then he like and then he's like um complete enough Mm-hmm. and uh, kind of fulfilled enough that he gives Valkyrie Asgard. He's like, you're the king that Asgard needs, and I'm going to go off and do this thing. And he does kind of leave at the end, kind of like going, I'm going to go off with the Guardians and figure out what's next. Right. So it's not that what they did in this movie is in, it, it, it tracks. It's not like it's some of my issues with Wanda and Multiverse of Madness where I'm like, this doesn't make, like, this is clear. Like, he did go off with the Guardians to find himself. Yep. And when we catch up with him, he's still kind of looking. So I think the setup is good. I just think that the journey of it all, of him being, I don't know, it, it, there's, I, I can't, I don't have a specific criticism of it because I think that the broad strokes of it makes sense. Right, right. It's just that compared to some of the other journeys that we've seen Thor go on, I didn't feel as fulfilled at the end of this one. I, I'm, him having a daughter, I think is super cute. He's, you know, love and thunder and where that's going to go in the MCU. Like, I think that's all really interesting. So, I, you know, where we started, I was cool with. Where we ended, I was like, yeah, that's a great new place for Thor. I wonder what that's going to be like. But the journey to get there, even though I laughed my ass off at it, um, didn't really leave me fulfilled the way some of these other Thor stories have left me fulfilled. Okay. I I did. I I liked it. I thought, you know, he he was comedic when he needed to be comedic. Uh, but he also stepped up when he needed to step up. You know, the 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 Russell Crowe scene, the Zeus scene, which we will get to fully. I mean, just him, you know, he's coming in. He's like, no, no, this is my idol. This is the guy I fashion everything around. And then when he ends up being kind of like the person when they talk about don't meet your idols, uh, being a case for that, he fights back and essentially thinks he kills Zeus and takes the Thunderbolt with him. So he is still willing to do these things, even within the comedic setups, that are serious things in order to solve the or in order to complete the mission and save the galaxy or save the universe. Uh, he's still willing to do these and go against Zeus, who's telling him, hey, man, you know, keep it down. Don't, don't scare everybody. Let's just chill out here. He'll never find us. And he makes these steps. He, he talks to the kids. You know, even though it's funny initially, he does figure out how to talk to them and then gives them their powers uh, to have the battle with uh, Gore the God Butcher there, or the creatures rather, of Gore the God Butcher. And steps, and even with Jane, when she shows up, he's like destroyed that she shows up because he knows she could die in this situation and probably will die in this situation. The Stormbreaker stuff I thought was a little weird, but overall, I, I kind of liked the journey he was on. So, um, but I take your point that it didn't connect with you as strongly as the other ones. Um, but I get it. You know, we're all he's he's always evolving. That's what's fascinating about this character, more so than any other character in the MCU. He is always evolving. Um, in every film and every situation they put him in. And he's always coming out a better person on the other side. And I think that's a great thing. And I, I know some people are like, oh, it's a bit of a kid's movie. Well, this was the next phase for him is to kind of like, okay, now it's, you know, yeah, I know he went from uh, what, dad bod to god bod. But in his mind, he went back from god bod to dad bod. And I think that's not a, a bad thing by the time the movie is over. I like the journey, but totally respect if the journey didn't work for you. Um, let's move over to Christian Bale, uh, and then we'll answer some of your Streamlabs and Super Chats. Please keep sending them in. I see a few of these already, so send in your questions now. We'll get to them right after we talk about Gore the God Butcher. Christian Bale coming in, you know, former Bruce Wayne, former Batman, stepping into play. Former Newsy. Former Newsy. 
Bear, former Newsie, uh, stepping in to play this character of Gore the God Butcher, as you mentioned, from a well-known run in the Thor comics, um, gets the Necro Sword, is a former believer of the gods. We see him lose his daughter, gets the Necro Sword in this Garden of Eden, in essence, kills a god, then takes it upon himself to go and kill all these gods, becomes a threat, comes after Thor, shows up in New Asgard, steals the children, uh, has that battle in the shadow world, almost gets what he wants in eternity, and it's Thor, it's uh, Jane's death that changes him around the love they have between each other, Thor and Jane, that changes him. And he, instead of wishing for all the death of the gods, he wishes for his daughter to come back and dies. So talk to me about the progression of the Gore the God Butcher story and Christian Bale's performance. Um, I think Christian Bale's performance is great. Christian Bale is Christian Bale is doing the Lord's work, and he is you know doing his version of Martha Graham as Voldemort just all <laughs> over that movie, and it is it is something to see. Um, but again, yes. it just yeah. gets back. And again, I think, and this might not be fair of me. Like I'm willing to say, like you know, sometimes you you're, you're when you really love the source material is something you always sort of have yeah. that in the back of your yeah. head that you're always comparing it. And again, Gore in the comics was just such a powerhouse of a villain for Thor. And I thought, you know, tonally, you sort of still had this thing like, we didn't see him kill a whole lot of gods. Yes. We saw him kill the sure. god at the beginning, and then we see the giant god that he kills, which is that frame right from the comic. Right. Um, but we didn't really get this. And, I, and I'm not saying they had to spend 25 minutes showing him kill a bunch of characters that we don't care about. That would have been dumb, too. But, like... We didn't, I don't feel like we really built the threat of him after, like, I think the opening was really cool, and even though it's not exactly the way it plays in the comics, it's close enough that it was like, yeah, this is the right setup. But then by the time we catch up with him at Asgard, I was already a little bit like, I don't know, like, why did he go to Asgard? Yeah. Like, you know, like, when when, when Thor goes to see Sif, right. he's like, she, she, he's coming for you next, and I'm like, all right, I mean, I, they don't really have a personal thing yet. And then we don't find out until later... Yeah. That he needs the he needs Stormbreaker to open up, right. uh, to open up the, the the key to that 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 Stormbreaker is the key, and I kind of would rather yeah. be yeah to eternity. And it's like, well, maybe like we should have flip flopped that. I don't know. And like then you had like that scene with him and the kids, uh, where he was talking to them and he like chopped the head off of that little worm, which I feel like was a little too goofy for Gore. So ultimately, his sort of whole thing kind of felt like you know in the comics. Again, I'm gonna keep saying this, and you all can say in the chat like, shut the fuck up about the comics, but. <laughs> In the comics, yeah. there was such a more personal thing. Like, even though Gore's goal was to kill all the gods, yeah, yeah. he kind of encountered Thor earlier on, and he had a real, like, just this fucking guy, I'm going to I'm gonna stick it to him. Uh, and it was really more personal. And I'm not saying they needed to follow that story exactly. Most of the MCU movies don't follow the comics exactly. True. But I really would have liked to have seen Gore not just need Stormbreaker, but really be like, Fuck you, Thor. Like, I'm going to fucking ruin your life. Like, that. I think that would have uh, given Christian Bale more to chew on. And he was chewing on everything. But, like, he really could have chewed on that. And ultimately with the end, and we can get into the end a bigger discussion later because I think you and I just feel differently about it. Um, I think the idea of Jane sacrificing herself to save everything is great. I think the idea that Gore sees this noble sacrifice and this love between the two of them and it changes his mind is great. Like in the room, if somebody pitches that, I'm like, yeah, that's how you could take these two things and put them together. Did I really buy that Gore looking at Jane and Thor's arms made him change his entire opinion about gods and everything and was like, I don't know that I really bought that. 
Okay. I was like, okay, that's what you chose to do, and I see how this all wraps up, and okay, this is the ending of the movie, I get it, it makes sense, but like, emotionally, like, you know, like, I wasn't like, oh, fuck, that's, yeah, that's, oh, wow, I really buy that, like, I didn't totally buy it. Okay. What about this idea of, well, this, this, I you know, I, I like that they brought up that he is a guy who is going after the gods uh, because mm. of their indifference, yeah. because of their willingness to make fun of their followers uh, and because they're, they haven't delivered what they promised, but they took all the praise and couldn't care less about delivering what they promised. Kind of a connective tissue to what's going on in our world now. Not that it hasn't been going on before. Certainly the 1970s and late 60s, 1970s in this country exposed this idea of systemic issues meant to keep certain people down and elevate other people. Uh, and you're, But you're seeing this more and more happening on all sides here, Michael, of the world. Yeah, people are questioning the leaders in power. People are questioning the people who are supposed to be taking care of uh, the regular working Joes and Janes in this world. Uh, and so he, in a way, symbolizes that. Do you like that they gave him that element? Because this is something that Marvel was being accused of initially was their villains were kind of boring and they weren't connecting to what was going on. We're seeing this since Killmonger. The villains have taken a whole new level. Did you like that they added that here with Gore the God Butcher? Well, they didn't add that. I mean, yes, well, I liked it, but that's not added. I mean, that is right. literally Gore's arc. I mean, because his story yeah. in the comics starts very much the same. Like, he was a true believer of a very religious planet, and he and everything was going shit in the desert, and his kid, like, that's all, like, that's pretty much straight out of the comic. And his reason for wanting to kill all the gods, which is gods don't give a fuck about us, is yeah. 100% from the comic. If anything, I so I liked it. And when they yeah. hit that beat, whether that was seeing how indifferent Zeus was or Gore stating it, I thought it was great. I do think it's weird that he's like, like the god at the beginning is basically like, I don't give a shit about your kid. Yeah. And yeah. he's like, I'm going to go kill gods because they don't give a shit. And then when he gets to Asgard, he's like, I know how I'm going to lure these gods out. I'm going to kidnap their kids. Like well, the fact that Thor, the fact that Thor and all of them are like moving heaven and earth to save the children kind of disproves Gore's point. Well, like that's not Gore. That's Gore taken over by the Necro Sword, right? Gore, sure. If he hadn't been taken over, I think would have thought rashly and not done that. Right. But that gets into the whole like Darkhold Wanda multiverse thing, which is like whenever, uh, right. like, like. Does that make sense? Does what you said yeah, you keep, completely keep, keep track? To that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's 100%. That makes sense. I could accept that. You say that. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll buy that. But either I would have wanted to see that more, or I think Gore is a scarier, more compelling villain yeah. when he's straight. And, and to me, the seeing the love of Thor and Jane and that changed his mind, I get it. And it it's fine. But like, since Gore's entire thing is like, gods don't give a shit. Yeah, I wanted him. I was kind of hoping for like Jane and Thor, whatever got whatever Gore's plan was, the two of them being like, we love each other and I'm glad we got back together and I'm glad we found each other again. But I guess we're both going to die because we're going to do what we need to do to save everybody. And in them sacrificing themselves, that to me would have disproven Gore's sort of underlying theory as a villain more. Okay. Um, so I was kind of hoping for something like that. Did what? And again, everything they did, did it work? Like was, was there was nothing yeah. that I was like, what the fuck? Like this is out of left field, but it didn't emotionally like bowl me over. So that's where I kind of get to like the movie was fun, but it didn't bowl me over. Okay. I, I, I was, I, I liked yeah, the which, which by the way, which I, which I am happy that you were. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I know what it's like to question, you know, be part of religion kind of, I, mean, I walked away from the church when I was 16, 17 years old, because I just felt like there was too much hypocrisy and I never went, I've never gone back. 
you know, it's just always kind of been a spiritual approach now. And so I understand, I understood, I connected to that anger, connected to that frustration. Uh, but I do agree that we needed to see Gore more than just seeing like the frames on the Guardians of the Galaxy screen where we saw the after effects of Gore being there. We needed to see Gore take on some gods and see uh, the challenges and see him progression progressing as a threat, right? And then leading to him discovering, okay, I can get yeah. to eternity and kill all the gods. I need to get Stormbreaker. Well, Who has Stormbreaker? Thor. And so then he sets his sights on Thor. That's a great, excellent point, Mike. And I think, and I think to that point, you know, like, like I again, I don't need to see him do it twelve times and right, make right. them. Sure, and, sure. and they Wonderful. that movie and this movie had to be two hours anyway. But like, right. I think the key is. When you see, like, we we saw his setup, we saw yeah. who he was and what he was about, and then the next time we see him, he's already at Asgard. And I think, just like in Avengers, yeah, that yeah, whole yeah. scene where Loki sort of takes over the crowd and makes them all kneel, and that one guy uh, yeah. who was in the Holocaust says, I kneeled once before, I'm never going to kneel again. And, like, Loki has his whole speech about humans and how they all just want to be sheep and everything. Like... When you to see Gore in action, even one time, yeah, yeah. would have allowed Christian Bale to speak his philosophy as a villain. Right, he could have said it to a god right before he chopped the god's head off or something, and I think it would have just added to his character. And maybe some of the people are on his side, and so that gives him even more impetus that he is like with the people, certain elements of the people who are also disillusioned by the god's nuts uh, uh, delivering after all this praise and promise and what have you. So yeah, there could have been a little bit more here. I, that I don't, I, I've said that in my non-spoiler review there. I uh, absolutely believe we should have gotten more of the threat of gore so that we understand why he's such a more gore, yeah, more, more gore. gore would have been less. Yes, absolutely. Which I rarely ask for, but certainly more gore would have worked here. All right, let's get some of these Streamlabs super chats before they go away on my screen here. Uh, Christine is in here. Thank you, Christine. She says, enjoyed the film. Always love to see Taika incorporate his Maori heritage as it does, uh, as it does have its own poignant history with gods. Russell Crowe paying homage to an Aussie sketch comedy icon, Con the Fruiterer, for his accent as Zeus. He has Greek accent as Zeus. Um, thoughts on this comment real quick, and we will talk about that scene in just a little bit. Yeah, look, I mean, I know it sounds like I'm dogging on the movie. I think Tyke is a brilliant director. Like, yes. I think he is amazing, and he finds comedy in things that I would have never thought that there was comedy in. And I think him sort of, you know, pulling from his experience, pulling from his heritage is great. Like, I think he's, if anything, it's like I probably judged Thor, Love and Thunder harder than other Marvel movies or TV series just because I think he's so brilliant and yeah, so yeah, smart. Absolutely. So yeah. Yeah, 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 so totally agree. Yeah, I, and I agree with Michael too, absolutely, yes. I, when it says Taika Waititi, now my expectation levels are much, much higher than most mm -hmm. directors that are working today. Uh, and so that's what I'm saying, I enjoyed it. And we'll get into the Russell Crowe thing in just a second. Uh, Christine also said, and yes, I did voluntarily yell it's Roy fucking Kent in an entirely packed theater on opening night. Very curious to see what Brent Goldstein will bring. Love the Geek Buddies and excited to hear your thorough I, reviews. I will get to Brent Goldstein. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We will we'll get and, to that. And the character Ooh. Hercules. Uh, what an interesting. Yes, it's <sighs> believe. Yeah. Um, Francisco Lopez says, Hey guys, how is how's your day going? I'm so disappointed in Love and Thunder. It's a mess of a movie. It feels like they didn't know what kind of movie it, it wanted to be tone-wise. I wanted to see Thor be a badass good, but they make him gore more goofy, especially when he was talking to the kids and gore the kidnapping. Oh, I'm sorry, I meant the God Butcher. 
I didn't feel the menace and the danger from Gore they wanted us to see. And his backstory didn't care less about him. They didn't expand his backstory. All we saw is the first five minutes of the film. It almost feels like they think the audiences who watch this read the comic. Other than that, I like Jane and Valkyrie. They are the best part of the movie. Yeah, Michael, did they default a little bit into thinking, hey, you've read the comedy, you've read the comic or you understand the story, so we don't need to fill in the gaps here. You guys get it. Let's keep going. Do you feel like maybe they defaulted to that? Look, I think that here, and I I do wonder this, like this, to to this point, sometimes I wonder if the director comes in wanting to tell one story and Kevin Feige and Marvel is like, okay, but also this. Like like the, the choice to kind of take the God of Thunder story arc, which is the Gore story, and the Mighty Thor story, which is the Jane story, and picking Thor up where we left him at the end of Endgame with the Guardians of the Galaxy and saying, can you do all of that in one movie? And oh, also, P.S., it can't be more than two hours. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I don't don't know how you do it. And so I do think sometimes like where you're like, I I don't think they were defaulting on we don't have to tell it it's a funny thing with a movie you think with two hours or even two and a half hours that like the directors and the writers just can put everything in the movie they want all you do from the moment that you get your first script in through like all the drafts of doing it and shooting it and editing and everything is you're just cutting stuff out because you can't fit it all in there's just not enough time so i think with gore they just got to even the stuff that we're talking about where i was like oh i would have loved to seen a scene like this yeah. It probably would have been one of the first things that was cut if it was in the script because you're like, well, okay, we get he's a threat and we have to get to this and we have to show Jane and we have to do cancer and we have to get here and we have to get to this. Right. So there's just so many have tos that I think sometimes, even if you're Taika Waititi, like you get a little bit bogged down. So I, I would, I would, and no one will ever tell us this is not something they'll ever say in an interview, yeah. but I would love to know what was the story that Taika wanted to tell and what was yeah. the story Marvel wanted to tell and where did they land in all of this? Well, and, and Taika said, um, I don't believe in director's cuts. There's not going to be a director's cut of this. There might be deleted scenes, but there may there's not, probably not going to be a director's cut that fleshes this out a little bit more. And you're probably right, Mike, because I wonder if they saw Eternals at two hours and 45 minutes and saw the reaction to it and went back to Taika and went back to Sam Raimi and said, Cut this shit down to two minutes. Uh, I mean, if if Venom can make, you know, eight hundred and seventy-five million dollars on ninety minutes, cut this thing down yeah. and see. And and that may have been what they did here. And so there was connective tissues that were sacrificed, or things that could have you know uh, deepened these characters yeah. a bit more that were sacrificed. So that's fair, fair possibility. Uh, all right. See, uh, Geek Buddies fan. Oh, thank you, Geek Buddies fan said. I don't know the comics very well. Do you think there was an importance in Gore's daughter's reflection in the water when she was resurrected? It looked like eternity took on her form. Michael, want to address that a little bit? I don't know. I did like the use of water. Like I did think like you, like I did think that eternity having the same basic visual representation as what we saw with the soul stone in, uh, in infinity war and Endgame, I thought was a really nice touch. I thought, you know, I do think that Marvel is getting in danger of having so many cosmic powers and entities and everything floating around. But I think even that little visual touch of having that water, I was like, oh, okay, so I guess in the MCU, these sort of extra level cosmic powers are going to be represented by this. And I kind of appreciated it. I don't know that her reflection had anything to do with it, but I am curious to see where they go with this character. Like, yeah. is she sort of tied to eternity in some way that like leans into it or is that just the wish and she's just uh the girl who is awesome like yeah. I'll, it'll be interesting to see 
where her journey is because this is and i could be wrong on this so correct me if i'm not but this yeah. is a brand new thing like i there yes. is in in neither in neither of the thor comics that this is based on and in most of the thor comics i know there is no yeah. thor and his daughter running around the universe saving the day so this is like brand new territory which for all that i'm dogging the movie uh I like it when Marvel does something completely different and is like, okay, well then this is a new thing that we don't have any frame of reference for. Let's see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. It could be one of two things. It's either that young kid they introduce at the end of a sitcom to try to save it for a couple more seasons, or it could be a kid that they introduce that allows the uh, sitcom or the show or the movie to breathe even more and give you more elements to this character of Thor, as we saw the glimpsed at the end there, the, the, the back and forth about the yeah. flapjacks about the boots. And then of course her painting or putting whatever it is on Mjolnir that she used that does not come off. It could add more uh, uh, elements to him. And certainly he has said numerous times that he wants to keep playing Thor until they tell him he can't. So might as well give him more things to do. Uh, Parker Howler. Hey, what's up, Parker? Good to see you again. It says, love you guys. Love Taika, but really didn't like this movie. Very few jokes landed for me. And there's a real lack of heart. Thor went from a funny yet vulnerable tragic character from the last few films to a one-note quippy idiot. I wouldn't say that. I mean, I wouldn't say one-note quippy. I mean, yes, he was making jokes, but certainly um, the scene in, I thought the scene in the hospital worked really well and was honest and touching. I thought the back and forth with him and uh, uh, Star-Lord was was kind of funny, but also... That scene was weird. I, well, I think it spoke also to the fact that, you know, he's in this place and he is desperate to find any kind of human... Or any kind of connection, sorry, not human or otherwise. Any kind of connection because he's a little lost. Uh, and then at the end, when he's having that scene with Jane, I thought was really touching. So I don't agree that it was a one-note quippy guy. I think there were these elements that Hemsworth has showed us before in the film. Michael, you I just... think I think I well I I I agree with the spirit of what he's saying. Like I think Hemsworth's a great actor, and I think he has some nice moments as Thor. But I think yeah. I do think in general, um, there's a little bit of whiplash. So I don't know if anybody remembers this. I went back and found the article, but like mm. when the Russo brothers started making Infinity War, um, they got in an argument with Chris Hemsworth uh, about about yes. how they were going to treat Thor because. Right. If you go back and watch Thor, I think we all kind of just kind of lump Thor, Ragnarok, and Infinity War and Endgame and Thor's kind of character together. Yeah, but yeah. if you go back and watch Ragnarok, Thor is kind of goofy and a little bit dumber than yeah. he was before. And that was sort of the vibe that him and Taika like found and they really liked it. And so then when they got to Infinity War and the Russo brothers were like, here's what we want to do with Thor. He's dealing with all of this trauma. Yeah. And he was like, no, 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 no. We have this whole funny vibe that we do now. It's got to be funny. And they had this big back and forth and they were like, look, this is like the world stakes. This is a different kind of movie. We need him to be this. And I think personally, they found a really nice balance in Infinity yeah. War and particularly Endgame where Thor still brought a lot of humor. Yes. Uh, he was still very, very funny. But as I was saying earlier, you really do get some real emotional moments, uh, both as in Infinity War, as he's dealing with the loss and talking to a fucking tree and a raccoon about yeah. what he's dealt with in his life, or in Endgame, where he's talking to Frigga and he's crying and it's yeah. really funny, but also he's having a moment. Yeah. And I think when we got back to Thor Love and Thunder, I think him and Taika went right back to Ragnarok Thor. And I think after seeing Infinity War and Endgame and this what really lovely arc, yeah. he kind of went back to being goofy and a little bit dumb again. And I, I, I'm I, kind of with him. Like, I kind of was He's taken aback by that a little bit. He's like, there was dumb. moments where – I'm sorry. Go ahead. Where is he dumb? 
I, I don't think so. I don't. Uh, he's not dumb. He might be well, emotionally uh, uh, young at this, you know, that he's still learning about those. But I wouldn't say that he was dumb. I mean, he fought off Gore the first time. He figured out how to use uh, his uh, uh, um, Hemdall's son to get the location. Uh, he understood that they had to get the Thunderbolt. He got it. There was a lot of intelligent things he did throughout the movie that I, I, I wouldn't say was dumb. He was broy, and maybe that kind of makes you think he was dumb. But he did a lot of smart things. I feel like. Maybe. Look, I'm not. I'm not. I don't think he's a moron. I don't think he all of a sudden turned into Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber. But I do think that. <laughs> He's definitely not the same guy that's like kicking Thanos' ass at the end of Endgame. He took on Zeus. What are you talking about? How do you yeah. think he's not the same guy? You mean, you mean when they were on the track of the God Butcher who was killing gods and decided to kill a god on their way to kill the god to stop the God Butcher from killing gods? Don't get facts in the way of a story. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I, I do I do agree that I just think and and again, a lot of times this gets down to, you know, one person is like, I love this journey for Thor. I wouldn't change yeah. anything. And someone else is like, I really didn't like it. I thought he was an idiot. And if you really broke it down, if you, if you, to your point, John, he does, he is the hero. He does good stuff. Yeah. It really does boil down to if you maybe changed four lines in the movie, yeah. you yeah. might, you might all of a sudden go, oh, okay, I feel better about this. Now it's usually just specific moments, not like the entire thing. Cause I do think Chris Hemsworth plays, like I said earlier, yeah. I'll continue to watch him play Thor. I, I think he's great. Like, so I don't think it's like any kind of like massive thing, um, but I think there was just little moments that I was like, eh. yeah, because he mean, has he has he has not I don't want to say dumb moments, but he has moments where he's kind of broy, jock, goofy in yes. Infinity War and Endgame too. But I just yes. feel like so it's it's more of a balance thing. Okay, that's fair. And you look look, Ragnarok is two hours and ten minutes. This was two hour. This was an hour and fifty eight minutes. So you could argue those extra twelve minutes could have saved the movie for people like you. Could have you yeah. know, those 12 minutes of extra scenes that could have deepened the film or given more layers to what was happening. Uh, Wanda's underscore H0E says, uh, Evening, gents. Six out of ten for me. I've seen this movie four times now and hate to admit how cringy some scenes feel. Well, why do you keep going back? Uh, Thor 3 was such a perfect balance. I don't mind comedy. Listen, Shannon goes to see movies he hates 25 times so he can take a nap. Leave them alone. That's fair. That's <laughs> fair, Wanda. I don't know what your deal is, but I respect it. I don't mind comedy, but this felt overbearing, and that's challenging when the story is sloppy and capped under two hours. Yeah, I think that's a thing that I would have add to another – I've had two criticisms. I'll add a third one, and that is that I felt like whoever made the decision to keep this under two hours – and Multiverse of Madness as well under two hours, I think, or two hours and six minutes, I think made a massive mistake here. I think there was more to flesh out, a better story to tell, giving it a little more time to breathe and what have you. Um, Micah, anything to add to what, uh, what one does? No, I mean, I think, I think, I think I agree with, I mean, probably six out of 10 is around probably where I'm sitting. Yeah. And I do feel the same way. I think the comedy kind of got in the way uh, they were so much more focused on the comedy. And again, the comedy worked. I like, laughed a lot, but I I was missing a bigger story. And yeah. I just felt I felt like the story didn't feel big to me. Okay. All right. I mean, we're going to went through the entire universe. All right. That's fine. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Let me get to some of these super chats now. Uh, and here, okay. Haunted underscore Autumn says, uh, my father passed from cancer last September. He went from fine to dead in eight months. Oh, I'm sorry. We're oh, sorry. Wow. So, yeah. He had Jane's mentality, thought he would beat it until he didn't. Uh, would I have written a deeper examination of that pathos? Yes. 
Reality did not give either of us that opportunity. Sometimes uh, life-changing events um, end up as nothing more than something crammed in between everything else that is going on. The way they played this scenario really hit for me. Well, there we go. And, right. Yeah, and I've seen other people. Uh, like I think there was a piece written by a woman earlier this week who spoke about her dealings with cancer and felt that it was a bit of an insult the way they didn't de dive deeper into the uh, breast cancer battle for Jane. And I can certainly understand that point of view as well. But this wasn't the movie for that. This wasn't the goal of the movie, which is my concern, which was my concern from the beginning with the trailers that they didn't even hint at right. the fact that she might have the breast cancer. But I but I totally understand people saying, hey, this should have been fleshed out more. This uh, I totally respect that. But for what they were going for and the character of Jane, it made sense to me. So but Michael, you made an excellent point earlier about like, well, we needed to understand how this was affecting her. We needed to see how this was affecting her more and the struggle between should I be a hero? Should I not be a hero? Because yes, it's saving me, but it's also killing me at the same time. Right. And look, just so we're really clear, like yeah. I obviously this is a superhero movie about gods and screaming goats. I'm not expecting it to turn into awakenings. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't need like I don't need terms of yep, endearment. Yes. I don't need terms of endearment with a helmet and a hammer. But uh, I actually really like uh, what Haunted Autumn said about that idea of like, you know, sometimes these big moments end up as something that's crammed yeah. in between. And I even yeah. think that as an idea, yeah. you know, that Jane, and I do think if you re if you do choose to read The Mighty Thor, which I clearly recommend all of you do, yeah. um, I think you sort of get this idea that there's these big, uh, you know, 10 realms spanning events that yeah. she's focused on and she doesn't really want to pay attention to her cancer and she doesn't want to deal with it. And I think that using that as a story point is really interesting. And here I just felt like it was literally like we don't have time to really even deal with this. So let's just not deal with it too much. Yeah. Like they spent I mean, they spent and again, um, their choice and they did it. And I, and I do think this scene I actually really like, but they spent yeah. way more time on Thor and Jane's breakup than they did on any of, of the cancer stuff. And yeah. that whole flashback of seeing their relationship progress from like things were great into the breakup, I thought was really, really lovely. I thought that part was really well done. And one of the parts of the movie where I sort of emotionally was invested and really did drop in. Okay, fair enough. Uh, let's see, Brandon says, uh, big fan of the show. Thank you, Brandon. Considering the interstellar reference that Jane made, I felt like I kind of heard a Heath Ledger joke laugh by Christian Bale in one of the scenes. Ooh, Ooh maybe. Maybe he yeah. was just, maybe. Yeah. I mean, because he did do I'm that a... thing where he take the head off the snake or whatever. He's like, what is me? You know, that kind of thing. Which I think. Bob... What did he do? What was that? What was that noise? I, I don't know. I can't do it again. I think he did something <laughs> like that. I don't know what it was. But yeah. Yeah. I, I would have liked him not to have had that color to his gore, the God Butcher. I like when Bale is quiet and intimidating yeah slow and slow moving there's there's a real fear to what he can bring to that because you look him losing on 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 that lighting guy is a scary thing to hear but him being quiet is even more scary you know so yeah. adding that if i walked if i walked into a room and christian bale was just like dead eyeing at me like if he was just staring at me the whole time just dead eye christian bale staring i would i would get the fuck out yeah i'd run you gotta leave that room absolutely uh, Miro Mirian uh, is here. Says hi, guys. Haven't seen the movie yet. Just here to show my appreciation for you and support you. Also, I want to be Michael Vogel when I grow up. Uh, love you too, Mister Roga. Thanks all. Back to the review. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I hope I don't want to grow up. How about that? How I don't want to grow up. I'm still working yeah. on not doing it. He wants to be. A but thank you. Kid. 
Yeah. Haunted underscore Autumn says, sorry for my heavy chats earlier. Just want to say Geek Buddies is a shining light in this crazy life. Thank you and this community for all you do. Oh, thank you guys. Thank you, Haunted. Yeah, and our condolences as someone who lost his dad to cancer. I absolutely understand. And Michael and I certainly send you our condolences, Haunted. And hopefully, 100%. yeah, and hopefully we've, uh, you know, brought some smiles and laugh to you, laughs to you as you've dealt with and navigate all of that for sure. But not uh, Shannon, just me and John. Yeah, just me and no, not Shannon. Not the dad jokes. Please don't call for the dad jokes. Uh, Sucks says... Gore should have should have been a direct contrast to the rest of the film, and the kid's plot gets in the way of exploring Jane and Thor's relationship and her cancer. Okay, let's address that. I know we've got some more Streamlabs Super Chats, but let's address that because that's an element of the review I also want to cover. Here, the kid's situation. A lot of people felt like the kid stuff bothered them, took it out, took them out of the film, thought it was childish, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, but I liked it. I likened it to Rocky too when he's running with the kids at the end there. But you didn't like. Did you like it, Mike? I mean, he gives them their powers. They fight. It was a cool little battle sequence. I think them. I think Thor giving all those kids their powers at the end. Although I don't know where that ability came from, was very, very like I was like, okay, I guess yeah. all bets are off. This movie, this movie really yeah. cracked me up because you get to that third act, and I do love that they're like, listen, Stormbreaker is the only way to get to eternity. We need we need to keep Stormbreaker away from him because he can't. We need we need to keep him out of eternity. Then Gore gets Stormbreaker and takes it to Eternity, and they're like, we got to go to Eternity. And Thor goes, cool, good thing I got this Zeus lightning bolt that can get me into Eternity. And then Jane's like, cool, I'm going to jump on Valkyrie's Pegasus and take it to Eternity. And I'm like, well, there seems to be a lot of keys to Eternity. Um, But along those same lines, I think the issue with the kids is, from a storytelling standpoint, they needed a reason for a, a, a more personal reason for Jane and Valkyrie and Thor to go after Gore. They couldn't just be like, well, he's killing gods, let's go stop him because yeah. that it's not really their fight. So they needed something personal, they chose the kids. Okay, so yeah. from a, this is Can our, I, let me yeah, go ahead, go ahead. And let me underline your point even more, Michael, because uh, Michael, you're making a good point here. It's because no one's gonna care that you're stopping him from killing gods, right? You right. have to, you have to have it, you have to be invested with somebody. So Michael's right, because we wouldn't have cared if Thor was defending gods. It's not where we're at overall as a mentality, as a people anymore in our world. So, yeah, sorry. But that being said, because we traded kids Mm. for cosmic level god killing, Gore kind of does play a babysitter for a good chunk of this movie. Like we're we have this guy who we're supposed to believe is this super badass who is going around and just slaying gods yeah. and he puts about 12 kids in a cage and drags them across the universe for the whole second act of the movie. Yeah. And so when people say this movie feels smaller or it didn't really work for them or they wanted something bigger and more epic, it's because you created this villain who you cast Christian Bale. You have this villain who's like, he's killed all these gods. And Sif is like, you don't know. He's a monster. It's so horrible. And then we have him doing a puppet show with a worm to a bunch of kids in a cage. And the entire movie is around, let's save these kids in this cage. And so having like these big badass heroes flying on a boat driven by two goats through space to save 14 kids is like, okay. But it just, that's why the movie doesn't feel that huge. Okay. I would disagree with you that he's babysitting the kids. He has captured these kids. He's keeping them essentially in a dungeon. Uh, and scaring the shit out of them he is not babysitting them. I, I would disagree with you there, but um. well, I mean, so here's like 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 alternative pitch, okay, um, and more based on the comics. I'm not coming up with this, but 
in the comics, um, Gore is creating something that's just going to kill all the gods. In the movie, they're like, we're going to eternity. But if Gore needed the, like, all Asgardians, and we can all debate this in the chat, but all Asgardians are basically gods. Like, Thor mm-hmm. isn't the god of the Asgardians. Like, all of the Asgardians living on are living gods. In New Asgard are god-level people because yeah. they came from Asgard, right? So technically, first of all, Gore should want to kill all of them. Mm. But it seems like he's only focused on our leads. Um, but if you needed him to do that, like if he was going to take all the kids because they were gods and he was going to use their god power to break into eternity and kill them or so, then it's like, well, then there's a bigger goal or there's something like kind of being like, I'm because literally he's just using the kids as bait like to get Thor. Okay, I could see that. So, you know, like I just feel like if you, you like, there's like, I guess my ultimate point is not like my pitch is better because I think there's a lot of problems with that too and like who the fuck am I, but. I think that you can do both things. Like you can have that thing that makes it a more personal thing for Thor and Jane and Valkyrie while at the same time still allowing this guy to be this epically huge cosmic villain, which like, what did we, what did we see? We saw him kill a God in the first five minutes of the movie. Yep. Decapitate. And what else did we see him do? Yeah, I know. Again, I'm going to agree with you on that. Uh, That's, that's certainly a criticism I had. Let's see the threat of Christian Bale a little more. Asgore the God Butcher. Oh, we already put that one up here. And let me read a couple more of these and we'll get back to the review here because I know we're already at the hour mark. Uh, Lou who fan is in here, says, I agree with John on many points and understand Vogel's POV regarding Jane Foster, love, and gore. The movie made Thor the focus and everything else was meant to support his journey. The guy lost everything and still, still opened his heart to another person. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's what Jane says to him at the end, right? Keep your heart open. So the journey... Of the heart opening, yes, no. Yeah, and hey, I love an open heart. Open your heart to me. It's a great Madonna song. Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, Wanda's underscore H-O-E is H-0-E is back. I hope the corporate overlords at Disney, oh, my God, learn from the lackluster response with Multiverse of Madness and Thor 4. I'm not crazy on the, quote, where Phase 4 is going train. I'm not crazy on the where is Phase 4 going train. My concern is more so with the reports of keeping these movies at two hours, it's affecting the quality of these stories. I have not heard those reports if that's true. And if it is I, true. I don't know. I don't know if they're true or not. But I have heard that the Disney kind of has a your movie can't be more than two hours. Um, but look, I think if you were to compare the geek reaction to look, whether you like them or not, like whether yeah. you're a big fan and you disagree with me, if you're going to rank Thor Love and Thunder Multiverse of Madness and Spider-Man No Way Home, which yeah. is the longest of the three of them, yeah. I think we're in a no competition area. Like I think we all know which yeah. the best out of those three is. Yeah. So this whole like movies have to be a certain length. Like I that I I agree that that is the opposite of creative storytelling. I think do I think that movies have gotten a little bit bloated and like get a little bit too long sometimes? Sure, but a movie is only too long if it's not working. Right. Like yeah, no 100%. one thinks no one thinks Avengers Endgame is too long. Yeah. Right. I mean, Venom is 90 minutes and it was long. Venom, Venom yeah. was long. Ven- Venom, Venom should have been three minutes. Yeah, I would have been happy with a, th- with a TikTok. A Venom TikTok would have been just... A Venom TikTok of Venom at the rave. That's all I needed. That's all I needed, for God's sakes. Uh, and Mild Manner Comic Nerd says, Hey, all, hope all is well. Do you think the MCU went from comic book real world to now straight comic book after Infinity War? Once they introduced time travel, the MCU became more of a comic book comic than real life in a comic, if that makes sense. Does that make sense, Mike? Yeah, it does. I think that 
the I think that Infinity War and Endgame were so successful that in yeah. Phase Four it gave them a permission to start doing the weirder stuff. Yes, like the Celestials and Eternity and all this cosmic level things. And and if they are in fact going towards Secret War, which it seems like they most likely are, yeah, you yeah. kind of do have to put some of those elements in. But I do think they run the risk of, well, this doesn't feel very grounded anymore. We're just all over the place, which I think is what a lot of us are kind of feeling about Phase 4 a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I don't disagree. Yeah. All right. So we'll stop there. We're going to jump into some other stuff and we'll come back to these Streamlabs and Super Chats in just a second. Uh, let's talk about Omnipotent City. Let's talk about Russell Crowe. We've been teasing this for an hour now. Michael, let's talk. This was the standout scene of the movie, I feel like. And it could have gone wrong on so many levels. But somehow it worked uh, from Russell Crowe with that Greek accent that someone already highlighted earlier is a is a uh, shout out to an Aussie comic. Um, uh, the Thunderbolt situation, Thor being stripped of clothes and we get to see that cute little tattoo on his back, a tattoo of his brother, apparently on the back there. Um, and then, of course, they eventually fight their way out uh, and take off with the, the Thunderbolt there after supposedly killing Zeus or apparently killing Zeus which we find out is not true. So did you, what do you think of this scene? What do you think of Russell Crowe's performance? Am I wrong to think it's a, he was, it went a little out of bounds with the lifting up of the skirt. Uh, did it kind of, uh, kind of skirt that line there? Well, what do you think about this whole scene? I thought he was really funny. I mean, I think, I think Russell Crowe's entire thing is, used, and I think it was, it was, it was one of the moments where it's like, it was funny just on the face of it. It was a very mm-hmm. funny portrayal, but it was also funny towards a purpose. Like we, this showed us that Zeus as a God gave no shits about anybody and only cared about what time the orgy was. So as funny as that is, it also basically underscores Gore's point. Like, it's like, all right, this, this is good because I like this. I'm laughing at this, but this also makes sense for the story that you're telling. Um, I did kind of get a little bit, uh, and again, I get why they did it because we needed to like put Zeus front and center, but why is Zeus the boss of all the gods? Mm. Like, yeah, yeah. I wonder if there's a, I wonder, I I would just wonder if there was a different way to sort of bring Zeus into it without being like, here's all the gods sitting around and Zeus is the big boss. And I'm like, why the fuck is the, why is the white guy the boss? Like, there's like a, like, let the, let the a fucking pork bun, let the pork bun be the boss. I don't give a shit. But like, you know, like, so I did think the that bow. like, you know, yeah, like you could have easily done some joke where like the bow bun was the boss and Zeus was the loudest voice of like, why are we going to listen to Thor? What time is the orb? You could have kind of done everything the same way, but oh, that's a, like, that's a minor little, that's a yeah. minor little quibble. It just, it was something that just occurred to me. Right. But yeah, I think that the omnipotent city thing, I think Russell Crowe is great. But again, like I said, I think it was great because it was one of those moments where the comedy was gold, but the yeah. comedy also underscored the story. Yeah, that's a great point. Because I mean, they, they show up at omnipotent city looking for help. And also we get a little more of the Jane Thor conversation about like, oh, well, you know, I'm trying to find my catchphrase and you never forget your first villain. And also they're kind of struggling to connect in some way. And Valkyrie is watching this. Uh, So and then, boom, we get into the whole situation. And I think there was there could have been more to mine here between their connections and showing all those gods, you know, dude, you know, doing this YouTube channel and doing all the things that we do. I was going insane going, okay, which God is that? Which God is this? Which God? Like I was, my mind was in overload trying to keep track of whose God was what. And then we get, of course, Korg's God, uh, the Nani Nani or whatever it is uh, there. So fascinating exploration um, for sure. And I love the scene. I thought Russell did a great job with the scene, but I take your point. It could have been other people maybe being in the lead and he's more like 
the right hand man, the goofy right hand man. But that being said, I thought the scene worked really well. Like that was a minor thing, and like ultimately, I thought all of it was really funny. Um, and I and I also like I didn't have the stress because I'm not the one that has to go on uh, on Google and figure out who all those gods are. Yeah. But I uh, I definitely was like enjoying seeing all the different representations of gods. Yeah, and Chris Hemsworth. He's been working out. Good God almighty. Um, all right. So then, then uh, was there anything to be taken from that? Cause of course that leads to the post credit scene with Sue with Hercules. So let's kind of jump to that here as a connective tissue, the omnipotent city. We see the post credit scene where Zeus is like, they used to fear us. They don't fear us anymore. Now they fear superheroes or they worship their superheroes. They don't worship us. Uh, and Hercules, and I'm sending you my son to change their mind. So now we're seeing Hercules maybe presented as a little bit of a villain here or an anti-hero and who better to play an anti-hero than Brett Goldstein. He is considerably smaller than we've seen Hercules in the Marvel comics, Michael. So is this a casting choice because Brett is so good with humor and serious stuff. So we stay in the kind of humor aspect of Thor and does this signal that Taika is going to come back and do a Thor five? Um, well, he might be smaller than Hercules is in the comics, but yeah. he looked like he was filling out that suit just fine to me. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. And uh, and that hairy chest looked just godlike, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, no, I think he's great. But well, and I do think to your point about casting, and you know, a friend of mine told me this about Marvel, who worked at Marvel, told me this a long time ago. Like they they cast for those personalities. They can build yeah. your body up. They can slim you down. They can do what they need to do. Like, they'll give you a personal trainer. Yeah. yeah, they'll they'll do what they need to do to get you in the shape they want you to get. So they don't, they're not, they'd much rather yeah. cast someone who they know can deliver on the performance. And Roy Kent, if you watch Ted Lasso, is one of the comedic highlights of the show, but also has some really, really great emotional moments. Like yes. he's a great actor. Yes. He's very charismatic, both in real, Brett Goldstein is really charismatic in real life. Roy Kent, a character is really charismatic. So him playing Hercules, I think is like a fucking home run. I don't know where they're going to take it. I don't know if this means Tyke is coming back to tell that story. I don't know if they are just introducing this here and they're going to take it somewhere else. But I think bringing Hercules into the comment, into the MCU and seeing where yeah. that goes and kind of having a really funny competitive back and forth between him and Thor. Um, you know, if you if you handle that right, that's comedy gold. Yeah. I mean, yeah. not that they're going to go in this direction, but like a buddy a buddy god movie with Thor and Hercules trying to do something and the two of them at each other's throats the whole time, like I don't know where that fits into the MCU and what phase it goes in, but I would watch it. I would absolutely watch it, especially between those two in those characters for sure. Aren't is he he's an event uh, Hercules becomes an Avenger. I remember at, buying at Avenger one point, yeah. Hercules. Yeah. Yeah. So Yeah, he does. He becomes an Avenger. Uh he he's all over the place. Like he, yeah. he pops up all the time. He's a really, really funny character. Uh I think him and Amadeus Cho, who becomes like, you know, the new Hulk, like I think yeah. they, they have a really interesting relationship if they ever decide to bring Amadeus Cho into things. Like there's a lot of really great ways. Hercules in the comics is kind of like Thor, but dumber. Yeah. Yes. Like he's 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 all about the battle. He's all about fighting. He is a god level uh, uh, powerhouse of strength, yeah. but he's kind of arrogant and dumb. But like yes. in a charming kind of way. Mm -hmm. um, so if that's the direction they choose to go with him, I think there could be a lot of fun to be had. He's definitely on the more comedic, goofier side. Like he would fit in better in like a She Hulk TV series than he would in like uh, yeah. you know a Winter Soldier movie. 
Yeah, right. Um, all right, so let's move on to yeah, and I like the casting. I think Greg Goldstein's great. It's gonna be. I've loved him for a while now doing British sitcoms. He's he's a great part of this sitcom called Uncle. If you guys haven't watched it, it's on Hulu. Watch those two, three seasons. He's great in it, you know. And then you get to see him, of course, in Ted Lasso. Just fantastic uh, guy. So, and he also has a great podcast about movies. Uh, so you should definitely listen also, to that as well. Yes, he is obsessed with the Muppets. Yeah. Yes. Right. You're right. He's obsessed. Just so like, we're clear on, on if he wasn't if he wasn't handsome and sexy enough already. You can go on YouTube and see him doing this show where he basically does the entire Muppet Christmas Carol in 10 minutes. And it is, I, I don't know that I've ever loved a man more. <laughs> to be honest with you. Fair enough. Uh, but let's move on to the comedic elements here. Let's talk about, and, and the ensemble characters, let's talk about Korg. Uh, let's talk about, you know, how, how he was born and then how he ends up himself uh, meeting somebody. Valkyrie, did we feel that these got a little bit of short shrift in the movie yes and then and then those goats let's talk about all three of those things the goats were in the movie exactly the right amount and they can scream as much as they want that that was that was a joke i mean i talked to somebody who was like i could have done with like two or three less screams i feel like i feel like i was just good i was good with the screams i was like yep this was good it made me laugh the thing about corgan valkyrie is that like yeah it in Ragnarok, they both had a specific reason to yes. be in the story. Yes. Uh, Korg was sort of representative of all the other prisoners, you know, kind of like he represented right. the prisoners and uh, and him and Meep. And then Valkyrie was this sort of like uh, a different version of an Asgardian on this planet who had had a different experience because of Hela and had a direct tie to Hela. And there was all there was re- reasons. Yeah. I the, the setup for Valkyrie, I think, was great. The whole like she's. King of Asgard and Asgard on Earth is not really doing it for her. She'd really love to get back to the action stuff. Like that was a really great setup. And I think she like nailed every moment that she was in. I mean, yeah. Tessa Thompson is just awesome. Yeah. And Korg is always funny. I love him. I think he's great. I am very happy that he found his love in his man that he found. Dwayne? I think it was Dwayne. Dwayne. Yeah, yeah. His boy, yeah. his his man Dwayne. But uh what was their role in the story? How did they tell, how did they further Jane's story or Thor's story? Like, like you just reached a point and it was about the point um, when they were all on the boat and yeah. Jane and Thor were having their scene and Korg and, Te- and Valkyrie were inside kind of talking about it. From that point on, like Valkyrie fights Gore a little bit and then is just out for the count and Korg is kind of out for the count. And I wasn't quite clear. Like I love those characters. So I was glad they were in the movie, right. but I was like, what's your role? Okay. Yeah, I did feel at times that uh, Valkyrie was a bit of a third wheel in the movie or fourth wheel in the movie, depending on who you want to put third there. And uh, especially when Jane and Thor are having that conversation on Omnipotent City as they're walking, you can see Tessa in the background just kind of shifting back and forth as they're walking in that middle area. And you're like, why is she even in the scene? Because, yeah, she's going to come up later. But what was that all about? Oh, we're on the same team, which is a little bit of a ham-handed uh lesbian joke maybe i don't know it was a weird kind of moment and i was like well why are we okay all right we're stressing that but i wanted more because as you said i love tessa thompson i want to give her a little more yeah. drive here and certainly there that moment with her and korg on the boat the scene rather where she's talking about how it was a lovely korg, moment yeah it was great i was like where's this i want more of this i want i, I agree i, I agree yeah yep, yep. i want to get to know more of valkyrie I still loved what she did. Loved the battle on Shadow. Totally understood that she wanted to 
kind of break out because yeah, a warrior who becomes a king, which is what Thor, why Thor handed the um, uh, the running of Asgard to Valkyrie is because he felt you know he wants to still do the Avengers. He's not really cut out to be a king as he thought he was. So let's have Valkyrie do it. She's great, you know, great a woman of color, a woman, great. Have her run Asgard, fantastic. But now you're seeing that she also is a warrior and kind of bogged down by that stuff. And so you get it. So, okay, let's explore that a little bit more. And I think well, if we had more with Jane and Valkyrie, I think that would have solved both problems. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I mean, because I even think when when Valkyrie goes to get Jane uh, yes. and they have that moment where they do sort of address right that the cancer's not working, thing. like yeah. the two of them together, they really worked well. They had great chemistry. Mm -hmm. And like, I do want to say, like, I think where this movie kind of saves itself, because I do think the story's a little messy and I do think the comedy gets in the way sometimes, but like... Every like Chris Hemsworth, uh, Natalie Portman, Tessa Thompson, Taika doing Korg, the four of them could sit in chairs and have a chat about their favorite Thanksgiving recipes, and I think it would be entertaining. Like they're yeah. they're very charming, they're very talented. So even when the movie's not quite working for them, yeah. they're getting the most out of these scenes. Like yeah. I think this movie is as good as it is because they're they're so charming and they're so good at playing these roles. Yeah. I think had this movie been better, like had the story been a little bit tighter, had the comedy been a little bit more nuanced, had we had a little bit more room to do some of this other stuff, yeah. I think this would this could have been like a Spider-Man No Way Home level movie. And I think it just yeah. was not. Okay, fair enough. I can understand that. <laughs> Is that Shannon? Is that Shannon? Is that Shannon calling in? Is that Shannon calling in? I should make that my uh, um, uh, ringtone for Shannon McClone. But yeah, I love the goats. When those goats hit the planet, which you just did not see coming, and those screams from a disc, I fell out of my chair. I literally fell out of my chair laughing. Lily will tell you, I fell out that, of my chair. I will say, the, the, oh. that was a, I love an unexpected comedic moment. Yes. And that was just a great moment where the uh, our eyes were trained to go, oh, the, the perspective is they're this far away. And when they just slammed into it, I think I did actually like choke laugh. I think I was like, <laughs> like I was like, that was a really, that one really got me too. That was a good one. That really got me good. <laughs> Please take these goats as a gift. Take them right to you. You have to take the goats. They're yours. Oh, just genius stuff. I love the goats. Um, all right, let's, so let's move on to the ending here. Well, let's move on to the whole ending, right? Let's when they get to the shadow realm and the battles that they have there, and then of course you said Stormbreaker. And then they kind of sideline Valkyrie because uh, she's recovering from being stabbed. Jane comes in to save the day. The kids fight. Uh, and then we get to Eternity, which is a big deal in the comics. Eternity is a character, is a massive deal in the comics, Mike. And they are, uh, if you thought they expanded out into space already, introducing Eternity is going way the fuck on out there in the MCU. And I was really surprised by that. So did you like, you know, you already, you already stated your feelings about it. So t tell me more about how you felt the ending didn't a hundred percent land for you. Didn't buy that Gore would change his mind and, uh, and uh, bring his daughter back. Well, I just think that like what, you know, I mean, I'll th cause you, it really worked for you. So I would, yeah. I'll just throw it back to you. Like what, no. what really, what changed Gore's mind specifically? Well, I think I invested in the fact that Christian Bailey created this character who was one thing, which was a very loving father. And he even, even when he goes and becomes Gore the God Butcher and he's talking to the kids, 
he's looking at one of the young girls and says, I had a daughter just like you. And you can tell he's being controlled. He's in another place. But still, those feelings of who he is and the memories of who he was before are still there. So that when they get to eternity and he sees and he's kind of exhausted and he sees the connection between those two, it kind of breaks the wall and the control that the necro sword, because remember the necro sword gets shattered and dissolves in his hands. So the control it has over him is no longer there. So when he sees eternity, it's almost like, well, what do I wish for now? And seeing that love here and them speaking to him saying, Hey, you know, there's something you can stand for something where you can honor your daughter in a better way. And it's a really honest back and forth because he's not controlled by the necro sword anymore so now he can ask for something for real which is and he's he feels lesser than because he says my daughter why would i bring her she would be embarrassed or ashamed of me and they're saying no love doesn't know that and so that's what motivates him to bring his daughter back and have that beautiful tender moment with his daughter before he passes even reaches to thor and jane in that moment before he goes to kind of say please take care of my daughter and jane says to thor you got to do this. And Thor gives the nod. So I think it works for me. Why? Why couldn't he have just wished? Like, I just don't understand. Like, I think that the rules of eternity were so it's a, to your point, this mm. is eternity. This is like cosmic infinity yeah. level stuff. It's huge. Why was it a one for one? Why did, why did he have to die? And then her, his daughter live? Like, what was the, you well, know, it's like, like he has to atone for killing all the gods dying, I think was part of it. Why? So. Well, that's the, I just said he has to atone. So there's a punishment here. Is he punishing himself? No, I think he died from because he was going to die anyway. I think the Necrosword just kept him alive to do these things. And so with the Necrosword now being removed, he doesn't remember he was going to die before he stumbled into Eden and eaten a watermelon or a melon. Sure, but if the Necrosword, but if the Necrosword was controlling him this whole time, then it's not really his fault. Why doesn't he just wish for him and his daughter to be together again? I'm saying he was already dying before the Necrosword got a hold of him, just like Jane. So it's comparable their journeys. She took a different path, the hero. He took the evil path. But in the end, her losing the hammer and him losing the sword, they're both already on the path to death. How they died is what matters. I I see that. I see that, and I get like the comparison that the Necrosword was like the thing that was infecting him the same way the cancer like i get i get all that but i do think that like that if and that's the case him alive and keeping him alive right yeah i think they could have i don't know i just i think it was a little bit sloppy then i guess okay. like i okay. like everything you're saying is there I, I, yeah. I completely see it and you're you're absolutely not wrong but i think it wasn't just it wasn't just tight the way that i love like when a story is really really tight and it's just like every beat hits yeah. and this was sort of like a bunch of stuff happened and i was like okay it's nice but it just didn't it just didn't it just didn't do it for me it's nice i am glad i like again like well again it's like it's not like and I, like I said earlier, this isn't yeah. like when we were, you know, arguing and debating over Multiverse of Madness oh, where there was stuff that I just felt was flat out, like, t- just wrong. Yeah, yeah. None of the beats in this movie are flat out wrong. Like, everything is yeah. fine. This movie just really suffered from, I think, being a little too short given the scope yeah. of stories they were trying to tell. Yeah. And I think just tonally not quite landing right for me. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so let's get to the... A post-credit the other post-credit scene here as we said afterwards um uh shit what is the other post-credit scene i just forgot it damn it what is it uh mike valhalla oh yeah the valhalla thing with jane so she dies here we get jane and hemdall still alive 
even though well, no, he's Valhalla. not alive. He's well, dead. They're, they're in Valhalla. Still existing in the MCU, I guess I'll say that. Um, uh, so do you think this was done on purpose? Like Natalie Portman, maybe as a career thing, said, okay, I'll come back and play the role one more time. I did enjoy coming back for Endgame, but I'll play the role one more time. Uh, and, but you got to kill me off. And then I'll, I'll be in Valhalla. And then I can come in when I need to come in. But my storyline with Thor is is over. And so as Natalie Portman, the actress, I'm not going to be needing to come back and do a full storyline with him. I can come back as like something smaller. Because why else would you show her going to Valhalla unless there's some possibility of her and Hemdall coming back, especially because you introduce his son in the movie. So talk to me about that end credit sequence. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that It'll be interesting to see. I don't know why you would show Jane going into Valhalla if uh, yeah. there wasn't more story to tell. Like it's not yeah. just it's not just like oh that's nice she made it. You know I think that uh, I think that there's got to be a bit more to it. And I think it would be a real shame if all we got of the Mighty Thor of Jane uh, Lady Thor was just this movie. I yeah, think that right, I think right. that there's a lot more uh, to Lady Thor than just being Thor's ex girlfriend. Yeah. So I think that uh, I would hope that they have more plans for her. But yeah. I mean, honestly, at this point, and, you know, we talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago. It's just like at this point with phase four, it's kind of a cool. Like, yeah. like we were we're reaching the point where we're like, oh, cool. Like the Ten Rings are calling someone. Oh, yeah. cool. Uh, you know, Julie Louise Dreyfus is putting together a team. Oh, Okay, cool. Like, you know, there's just, there's, there's, there's so much happening at this, but there's a multiverse. Kang is here. The, James and Valhalla. Yeah, yeah. You're like the bangle and the 10 rings. Like there's just so much going on that I am real, real curious about this Marvel panel at Comic-Con next week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bernaratta says, no, Gore was not dying. He was alive and well before. No, he was not. He was dying. He was starving. He was close. He was starving, but he wasn't, he was, he was not. I mean, I will agree. Like, I don't think he that was he was. But he wasn't dying. I think he was dying because his daughter had just died and he was suffering the same starvation. He was probably a day away from death or hours but this, away from death. I, I think this falls under the category of, again, like I said earlier, the dark hold for me, yeah. where if you're going to do that, and, I, and I'm like, I, I get that they said it. Like everything you said that he said and the necro sword being his, his cancer, like it's all there. It's stated. Right. But this whole the magical object made me do it. And then the magical object goes away. And then, but like, you can't, you can't have both. It's the same thing they did in multiverse of madness where you're like, well, so the dark hold took hold of her and made her do evil things. But the thing that brought her back at the end was her kids being like, you're a monster. And she was like, Oh shit, I'm a monster. And then the dark hold was just gone. And kind of here, the necro sword at least was literally destroyed. So I think you have a stronger case here. And like I said, this is a better movie, but the whole, the magic thing made me do it, and that's my motivation. I just think makes for a weaker villain story at the end of the day. I don't disagree with you. I don't, especially with Multiverse of Madness. I don't disagree with you at all. That was there was a cop out, and I thought it was ridiculous. Whereas here, um, there was a legitimate legitimate reason that felt logically correct because of how you presented the character at the beginning um, with Gore and his daughter, and his daughter dying, and him right. probably on the precipice of death himself. And I see people in the chat <laughs> saying. He drank water and ate a melon, so he was fine. Get the fuck out of here. He was suffering for days, probably weeks, months, maybe. He said 
to the god yeah the land you is ever dead. there is no vegetation the I... land is dead the people have died i'm the last one alive he says all that so but have you clearly... ever eaten like a really good melon <laughs> Yes, I have eaten a like like a really good melon. Like you, yeah. you go to that breakfast buffet and you get that melon, and you were like, "Oh, that melon!" I feel like I can live forever. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If you've been starving for weeks, melon is just condensed water. It is not going to save your fucking life. So I just you know what saves somebody's life? Water. Do you know what keeps us alive? Water. Yeah, but we don't even know if that was actual water. We don't know what he was seeing because it was an oasis. So who knows how that came about? That's I think there's a criticism there, like. How did that even pop up all of a sudden out of the blue if there wasn't some plan for him to be used in some way? So it just found it to be an odd. And I will say, even in the chat right now, there's yeah. a debate. Like, like, did the, was the was the sword killing Gore? Was the I, sword keeping Gore alive? I don't know where that's coming from because at no point was it stated in the film that the sword was killing Gore. Well, it then was, it's not a cancer. To me, Gore was already dying. He was already dying, and the, the sword only kept him alive to carry out its bidding. But and as soon as the sword was dissolved, he went back to the state he was, here body is, wise, which is dead. Here's he my point. Dying. Here, Here's my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact that we, you and I, and yeah. all of you lovely people in this chat right here, the fact that we are all having this discussion yeah, yeah, yeah. means yeah. that it was not clear. Um, I don't remember Deuce, Zeus stating it, uh, Tushka. I don't remember that. Maybe you're right. I don't remember he stated that the sword, the sword kills its holder. Yeah, but that does not necessarily mean the sword. It could mean any number of things that the sword like kills its holder. The sword could do any number of things. He was already in a state of near death when he got the sword. The sword only kept him alive to do that. In my opinion, only kept him alive to do the things he was doing. So once the sword dissolved... He was uh, back to the bo uh, body state that he was in before the sword came along, which was on the precipice of death. You know, so those are my two cents on it. Um, but you can disagree, obviously, because clearly, as Michael stated, it wasn't really stressed that hard in the movie so that people have a different opinion on it. Because some people are on my side, some people are not on my side. So clearly there's debate. Um, let's hit the kid thing at the end here. This is Thor. This is uh, Chris Hemsworth's actual daughter that he has with fellow actress Elsa Pataki. Uh, who was the wolf woman, by the way, a nice little cameo by her. She was the wolf woman that is having sex on a wolf, a woman wolf uh, by Cork there. So do you like adding this child element, uh, not removing it, adding it now to the uh, uh, Thor story here as we go forward? Love and Thunder. I mean, it's a, it's a big TBD because kind of to your point, like, you know, Thor and his plucky sidekick yeah, yeah. Uh, could could go really wrong really fast. Yes. Like, true. like, 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 you know, like, cause now until we resolve this or she goes away or she grows up and goes to Asgardian college, like, I don't know what, you know, wherever we go with it, Thor's got a kid and yeah. he's taking her around. So even if he shows up in other movies, like, you know, I, they're, they're either going to do the, he's got this kid and you're really going to commit to it. Yeah. Or you're going to have him show up in some movie and you're like, Oh, where's your kid? Oh, you know, Korg's babysitting her. So I don't have to deal with it. But like, it, it's a big change. And if they have a plan and they really lean into it, it could be good. But yeah. we could also be like, oh, man, they gave Thor that kid. Like, so really don't know. Yeah. Like, it, it could go either way. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, all right. Let's hit some of these Streamlabs. Supers. A lot of you guys send in some stuff. So we got to get to them real quick here because I know we want to wrap up, Michael. Wanda's underscore uh, H0E says uh, she sent in another uh, uh, donation here. I like Taika, but I hope he brings it back for Thor 5. Come on. 
Just imagine a visceral Eternals like as in scope and cinematography story of Thor fighting other gods and creatures. I don't mind humor, but Taika needs to call Chloe for some pointers. Wow, Wanda's defending Eternals. Interesting. Uh, Listen, I don't hate Eternals. You know, I sat next to you in the theater at the premiere and you were hemming and hawing and folding your arms and I was like having a grand old time. I was old school Roka, like making all kinds of noises as I was not liking the movie I was watching, that's for sure. Um, let's see, I don't know if I can bring some of you guys up, so I'll just read your super chats because uh, there are so many have come through here. Mirabirian says, hi guys, haven't seen the movie. Oh yeah, he already said that. Uh, oh, Sean Brennan saying, where do you see Thor's story going from here? And when, for the love of gods, do you think we'll get Beta Ray Bill? Michael? I, I think that's, that's, that's probably way back in the queue. Uh, I think that's way back in the queue. I don't know. I don't know where Thor goes here. I mean, you know, it's like we, he's, again, we are sort of in the wilderness here because I don't know that even if we had another Avengers movie, would Thor still be an Avenger? Is it a newer team or does he come back or is Thor just in Thor 5 now? Like, it's very, like, the shape of the MCU is very unclear, so it's harder to make guesses. Yeah, fair enough. Um, all right, let's see. Um, uh, Lou, Hume, yeah, and I think we're going to get Beta. I don't think we'll get Beta Ray Bill in the next one. Maybe in the sixth one, maybe? I don't know. There's so many characters. Uh, Lou Hube fan says, I agree with John on many points and understand Vogel's POV. I already answered that one. Um, let's see. Corporate Overlords. Brandon says, I'm a little confused on the titles of the characters. The character Valkyrie is a Valkyrie and Jane became a Thor. So what would Valkyrie's former sisters be called? Is it a bunch of badass ladies named Valkyrie? LOL. Wow. They're named they're named Sophia, Blanche, <laughs> oh my God. Rose, Dorothy. Um no, it's a good question. I mean, as far as the Thor thing, like when 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 Jane became Thor in the comics, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thor was no longer he was like the unworthy Thor, he was the Odin son, like he was just referred to as another thing. Even though Thor is his name, she sort of took it as a title, but they they are they do play a little bit fast and loose with that uh in here and it is a little unclear because it is Thor's kind of his name. Yeah. But then she's the Thor. And there's no moment where they, like, he's still Thor. Like, they're not calling him something else. In the comics, he very much was, like, the Odin son. Yeah. Um, and so it, it, yeah, it's a little confusing. Yeah, yeah, not going to lie. It is a little confusing. As we're going along here, we got 320 of you all watching us live right now. Thank you so much on a Friday night. We appreciate it. Please hit that like button on this video right now. If you're watching later, hit the like and leave a comment. We'd appreciate that as well, you know. You can disagree, agree, whatever you want to do with us. We appreciate it. Just keep it simple. Or just ask us about random other stuff. Like, you know. Sure. Sure. What are you doing tomorrow night? John, what are you doing tomorrow night? Uh, I have no idea, to be honest. Probably sitting at home watching Umbrella Academy. I've got to finish season three, for God's sakes. Uh, Darren Darren Farthing said, Thor knew what to do all the way through the movie when it mattered. Yeah, Mike. For sure. He's the hero. I Listen, I'm not saying he turned into the world's dumbest man like it's this was not this was not asgard's dumb and dumber oh. i'm just saying that he was a little goofier yeah. goofier is a better word than dumb he was yeah. a little goofier, yeah, goofier. here yeah, yeah, than he was in infinity war and endgame but i uh, but I, I do think if you go back and watch ragnarok yeah. 
he's probably the same level of goofy. Like I think it's a tonal thing. Like if you did, if you go from Ragnarok to Love and Thunder, I think the Thor pretty much stays the same and tonally it kind of feels like of a piece. Yeah. I think you throw Infinity War and Endgame in there, and it's a slightly different Thor. I just got visions of Tessa with Brett Goldstein and Chris Hemsworth. That's a trio well, on an adventure. I'm down with for sure. That is, you know, what that is that's 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 a gay pride present. That's what that is. <laughs> it's true. It's a good point. It's that's good a point. bisexual dream come true. Is what that is. <laughs> All right, Parker Harless said to add to my point. I love Thor Ragnarok, but we see his insecurities with his hammer and dad, as well as his relationship with Loki, a mix of funny and serious. Yeah, Parker. I, I do think I you know I, I even particularly I think in Ragnarok yeah. there's a lovely moment when he and Loki are in that elevator having that talk and I I yes. I would have to go back and watch it yeah. I think at the end of the day like when we when when Love and Thunder's on Disney Plus two you can watch them both back to back I think at the end of the day I'll feel like Thor Ragnarok has more emotionally grounded moments than Love and Thunder does I not that Love and Thunder doesn't have them I think Thor Ragnarok has more. I don't disagree. I think Thor's Ragnarok is a better film than Love and Thunder. Absolutely. I still had a great time with Love and Thunder because I took it for what it was, which is a fucking Ant-Man movie, in my opinion. Just a palate cleanser before we get to more serious stuff again. But uh, Ragnarok is a better film for sure. Uh, Andy Poon just donated. Thank you, Andy. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Andy. Thank Thank you, Andy, Andy again. Andy, are you trying to tell us something? Are you trying to answer? uh, Is there questions in there that we can't see what's happening? It's a pretty cool Batman avatar, too, that he's got, I think, with Joker. Batman and Joker. It's pretty cool. Um, uh, Sucked says, Gore should have captured Thor instead of the kids. And then Jane had... That would have been a gutsy decision to make your titular hero essentially sidelined for a majority of the movie. For Jane and Batman. Well, but not even really sidelined. Like if Thor was mm. with Gore, Thor yeah. and Gore. <laughs> um, if those and you know, and they they got to have this big debate about gods or people or whatever. You know, what yeah. I mean, like there's that's a there's a there's a version of that that I think would have maybe played. I don't know. Okay. The nose will play. The nose will play. Shamir Kelly says, hey, John and Mike, I've seen the movie once and it's already second on my list of phase four movies. Wow. What's your ranking? Mine is Spider-Man, Thor, Shang-Chi, Doctor Strange, Eternals, Black Widow. All right. What do you got? I know what my, no, what you know, I, what are yours? I, we both know we did it on. Spider-Man No Way Home. Shang-Chi, Thor, Love and Thunder, Black Widow, fuck, Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, and Eternals. Yeah, that's pretty much my list. Spider-Man No Way Home. I feel like we're missing one. Yeah. No, that's it. No, there's six. That's there's it. There's six. Oh, Spider-Man six. No Way Home. Shang-Chi. Yeah. Black Widow. Okay. Eternals. Okay. Thor Love and Thunder. Multiverse of Madness. How? You put... Okay. Eternals is better? You're insane? Yeah. I think it is. Okay. I do think... I think Eternals... Well, we can... There's, yeah. yeah. I think Eternals... I don't think Eternals is a perfect movie by any means. It's not my number one or my number two or my number yeah. three. But I think that it, it... it It's clearer on the story that it wants to be telling than Thor Love and Thunder is. Okay. Fair enough. Derek Johnson says, Feige is showing us the universe in phase four. Every story doesn't have to be connected now. Some might... Sorry. Every story doesn't have to be connected now. Some might, but others don't. I appreciate this new approach. Everything doesn't have to culminate. Necrosword took his life force to use. Well, fair. All right. I think that is 100% fair, but I think that there's also a level of you can't have your Marvel cake and eat it too. Mm. Like you can't say, I'm going to I'm gonna do this thing where I'm just going to do movies and maybe they're connected and maybe they're not. 
but then open up mysteries like, oh, who are the Ten Rings reaching out to? Oh, the Ten Rings are in Miss Marvel because we see them on the floor. Like, you can't do a little bit of it. You either have to be like, look, we're just going to do movies and we're not really going to worry about being connected anymore, or you don't. And I have a feeling that when we get to uh, both Comic-Con this next week and D23 in a few months, I think they're going to double down on connecting. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, They're not walking away from that. Derek's saying it was supposed to be a parallel between him and Jane, both user weapons that were sapping their life force. Gore even mentions it in the movie. He for sure does. Yeah, no, he does. And he does say that at the end. It's just that... It kind of gets back to my thing about even what I was saying about Jane at the beginning. Like, so she thought that the hammer would help her. Right. She got there. The hammer did reach out to her to sap her energy, even though the hammer's ostensibly a good weapon. That's true. And and then the Necrosword is sapping Gore's energy but keeps him alive so that he can do the Necrosword's bidding. It's like, it. they, they say these things, yes, yeah. but they say these things in a way that I'm like, it, this doesn't fully land for me because it's a little bit messy. It's not quite as clean as it could be. And the fact that we're debating, as Michael said it earlier, I think proves that it was a little bit messy, uh, for sure. Andy Poon said, it is strange that Thor's new weapon just happens to be the key for eternity that is supposed to date back how many years? Uh, yeah, I did. I did wonder about that. I'm like, this is the key to eternity that we just saw get built, and the handle is Groot. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Was this always the key to eternity? Yeah, uh, clarification would have helped. The difference between uh, Ragnarok and Love and Thunder is Ragnarok was a movie we lived as it happened. Love and Thunder is a story being retold by Korgs. That's why it's goofy and quick. Oh, cool. Is that satisfying? Yeah, fair. Good questions. Good questions for you to have, Michael. Yes. Is it satisfying? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, let's see. I'm Derek Johnson saying I'm saying the universe is all connected, but the stories aren't. Oh, that's that's fair. That's yeah. fair. But I mean, I do. I, well, it'll be interesting to see. Like, and, and because I think that the the uh, you know the MCU's Phase One, Two, and Three did similar things too. Like, not every individual, every movie in when Marvel is at its best. The movie is self-contained. Yeah, yeah. There is a character that has a want yeah. and there's an antagonist and things happen and it is resolved and it works as a story all by itself. Right. And at the same time, elements of it connect to a bigger universe. Yeah. Mar- sometimes Marvel movies are not connected enough to the bigger universe and it feels weird. You don't really know where it fits. Sometimes it feels like all it is is teeing you up for the next movie and it all all that matters is the bigger universe and that's not satisfying you know i think that um the first guardians of the galaxy movie is great it's mildly connected but it's really its own thing captain america winter soldier has elements that connect later on but it's just such a great story on its own so i think you're right and i think marvel is at its best when it's at that perfect like like thanos says all things in perfect balance um but it's a hard balancing act because thanos was right uh, Louis Hugh uh, uh, I'm totally buying that shirt if it's at Comic Con next week. You fucking know I am. Uh, Lou Hugh fan says, so you guys think if people judge the movie on its own merit instead of relying on the comic book source, then the movie would have gotten a better score? What do you think, Mike? No, I don't think that's true. I think that I, I think that being upset or critiquing the movie because it doesn't stack up to the source material yeah. is one criticism. But I also think that 
if this movie completely worked on its own and had very little Civil War. Uh, yeah, yeah. Really, at the end of the day, has very little. I mean, the core argument of should superheroes be uh, be under Registered. government control yeah, or not yeah. um, is the same. But other than that, it bears very little resemblance to yeah. the comic, and I don't think anybody's complaining about it because Civil War is a banger movie. Um, I think that Thor: Love and Thunder, whether you know the comic material or not, for a lot of people doesn't stack up. I think for me, I just fall back on, well, why was the source material so good? What could they have pulled from that that they didn't? As sort of like my sort of problem solving. Yeah, that's fair. <coughs> Sorry, uh, Jim Fan says I really liked the movie, similar to John. I thought it was a nice palate cleanser, and I just went with the story Taika decided to go with. It worked for me. However, do you think the divisiveness is coming from people not knowing where phase four is going? I don't, I mean, look, we didn't know where phase four is going with no way home and we're all really happy. Yeah. True, um, true. You know, like, like I think that, I think that I think it really does. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think if a movie's a good movie and kind of like to what Derek was saying, like, I think if a movie's a good movie, whether it connects or not, we're like, that was really satisfying. Yeah. I think with Marvel specifically, when a when move when the movies are not as satisfying, we start to be like, okay, well, this wasn't like there were definitely movies in phase two and fa- phase one, phase two, and phase three where the movie wasn't great. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Iron Man two. Um, but the promise of where was this going kept us going, and I think right now with phase four, uh, when a movie's not working and we also don't really know where we're going, it's kind of like a double whammy of like, well, well, what what's happening? Well, what's yeah, what's going? my boot uh carol says hi guys i missed the first 35 minutes so i'm sorry if this was said already i found this movie enjoyable but feel that ragnarok was much better overall love and thunder had the guardians volume two problem too many jokes taika did not write ragnarok that's a i I mean i think there's a point to be made there uh you know for for people who like you who didn't like the film or didn't 100 enjoy the film um taika writing it versus the person who wrote ragnarok Different was approach. Like Chris Yost and oh, Chris Yost, Craig yes. Kyle and yeah, it was it was a, it was a couple it was a couple of different guys. Yeah. I look and I think and this isn't a knock on Taika. I think sometimes and Taika sometimes Jennifer Kate and Robinson. By the way, yep. I want to give full credit to two people. Yes, for sure. But I think that sometimes a singular vision, like a writer director just taking their vision all the way across the finish line, is a great thing. Sometimes having more creative voices in the room is not a bad thing. Yeah, like there has definitely been times, and you know I. When I'm writing stuff, sometimes I, you know, you always hate it when someone comes up with a better idea than you. But I've definitely been in rooms where I was like, this is what I'm writing. And then somebody's like, well, what if you did this instead? And I'm like, fuck, that's good. So maybe maybe another voice in the room might have not been the worst thing for this. You know, I don't think everybody hates it when someone else comes up with a better idea. I do. Idea. <laughs> oh, it makes me mad. I'm like, oh. I mean, I'm like, I'll, I use it. I'm like, oh, like, like, yes, that is legitimately a better idea. But I'm like. Shannon's done it a few times to me. We'll be working on something, and I'll be like, I can't figure this out. I can't figure this out. He's like, well, what if you did this? And I'll be like, you, (laughs) motherfucker. Uh, Fair enough. Um, Carol says, um, I feel there was a better balance with the jokes in the last movie, Ragnarok. The Stormbreaker slash Mjolnir, but uh, started to get a little old for me. The jealousy here of Stormbreaker for Mjolnir. Also, I wish we had more time with Gore, Valkyrie, and Jane. I think we've hit that. Yep. I did love the GNR songs and Rainbow, Ian, The Dark, and, of course, Roy Kent. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I loved the use of Guns N' Roses throughout the movie. Look, as a guy who grew up in the 1980s, a kid in the 1980s, getting into Guns N' Roses, getting into that hair metal, getting into all of that, 
on the rock and whatever it totally worked for a kid like him him having the sleeveless leather jacket with the studs arrow i wish i was cool enough or i'd lifted weights enough to wear a jacket like that back when i was a kid it's like i said on twitter you're you're eddie from stranger things (laughs) i called it but yeah, I like that. But yeah, the Stormbreaker Mjolnir thing, I do agree that that was a little weird. Like, why is he jealous of the other hammer? I get that was Taika pitching that, going, oh, this is going to be funny. But I It was know. really funny. It's just, it was a joke that, like, it never plussed itself. Mm-hmm. Like, the joke was Stormbreaker is jealous. And, like, that, like, yeah. Stormbreaker kind of coming in to the side. Like, I laughed a lot at that. It's just, like, it never really, okay. like, there was never, like, a final punchline or, like, okay, right. that was the joke, but then... Oh, and then Storm, and then at the end, Stormbreaker and Mjolnir are kissing or something like you know, like something else. Like like what else? What what else could it have been? Yeah, where they work together or something. Yeah, good yeah. One. Uh, big uh, big fan said uh, two words for you guys, Uncle Loki. <laughs> I mean, not no, not no. Like or aunt, that or Aunt Loki, depending on which way they go, or uh, both, or both. Yes. Wow. Ah, that could be a very interesting, like, extra episode or something yeah. like that of the Loki season two. Uh, AZ Badfish says, I'm definitely more on the love side of this one. I laughed a lot and thought some of the visuals were fantastic. Plus, I'm bisexual and there's a lot of really good looking people in this movie. Uh, yeah, Amen know. to that. Like I said, this is this is a bisexual dream come true, this movie. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with that at all. Um, uh, something they alluded to, something that AZ Badfish alluded to, the visuals here. I, I thought the visuals, the cinematography, oh yeah, was stellar. I saw some people criticizing the CGI, criticizing the look, and it's like, no, this is what they were going for. This 1980s, just discovering CGI look, and I thought it a hundred percent worked and got you in the vibe of what you were going for in terms of the overall feeling of the movie. So I was really confused by people's um, hatred of the visual. I mean, I don't know that they were going for a just discovered CGI look, but I do think that they were going for like a, I I do think they were kind of going for everything should look like a 1980s album cover from an art direction standpoint. And I did appreciate that. I thought it looked really cool. I mean, it's, it's over the top and multicolored and like in your face, but like, I kind of like all the pinks and purple hues, like it felt very 1980s album cover come to life to me. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, Okay. Let's see anything, any other stream labs or super chats? No, let me refresh real quick before we go uh yeah i think we got to everything so mike final thoughts on this film as we wrap up here i think we've covered pretty much most of everything that happened in the movie in terms of the big things yeah so yeah any final thoughts as we wrap up here on thor love and thunder and where we might be going or where it fits i guess in the mcu construction of the shared universe um yeah look i think i think that there's a lot like this is not a movie that is like, oh, I will never watch it again. Like, mm-hmm. like this is a movie that is charming enough because the actors and act, like the performers, the performances in it are so great. Yeah. There's a lot of really funny moments. It's visually beautiful. Like, it's definitely a movie that I could return to and kind of enjoy the parts that I enjoy about it. I just get upset because the combination of two of my favorite Thor comic book arcs and Taika Waititi coming back to do another Thor movie, my expectations were here. And it kind of landed somewhere around here. So even though it's definitely just artistically, creatively stronger than a lot of other movies in the MCU, um, just given all the pieces coming into it, uh, getting to see 
Jane Foster as the Mighty Thor, like all of those things. Like it was like I wanted more and it didn't land, but there's still a lot of individual pieces to enjoy about this one. Yeah, and people calling it the Batman and Robin of the MCU, uh, I couldn't disagree with you more because parts of it that movie is not good, and there's some bad acting in that movie. There was no bad acting in this movie, so I think that I think that makes it higher than the Batman and Robin movie. It is definitely a better movie than Batman and Robin. It has a few moments that tread a little close to Batman and Robin territory, but yes, the performances, the directing, everything is at a much higher level, for sure. It's a little cheese ball shit here. Um, all right, well, for me overall, I, I still love it. I mean, I, I totally take Michael's points as, I, you know, it's always great to go back and forth with Michael and hear his points of views as a story creator, as a showrunner, like looking at the overall things and breaking things down, and I do see some of his points, but overall, I still enjoyed the movie. I take all those points, but still had a great time Seeing it a second time was even more fun. I can't wait to watch it on Disney Plus again and have some fun with a lot of the scenes in the film. And the romance does work for me. Those elements did work for me. I felt that pain. I understand the criticism about the cancer approach, too. I totally get that. But it worked for the story that I felt Taika was telling. I don't know if I agree we were seeing it through Korg's eyes, but I do agree that we were seeing it through Taika Waititi's eyes, and he was turning it up to 11. So Same thing, man. Yeah, same, same dude, same thing. That's true. That's true. The same voiceover guy, but this, but the idea that people are like, "Oh, I love the Sam Raimi. He turned it up to eleven, but I don't like the Taika Waititi." I just, I get confused by that on, uh, for me personally. But I like this version of it. I enjoyed it. It's not as good as Ragnarok, but there's a lot of good things that were introduced here that I'm looking forward to seeing how they play out in the MCU. And I think Hemsworth did a really great job. Christian Bale, Natalie Portman, Tessa Thompson, uh, Taika Waititi, Russell. All of it just worked so well. So I'm for me. So I'm looking forward to seeing what more we got next. So, all right. Well, there's our spoiler review of Thor: Love and Thunder. We did it live. Thank you so much for joining us. We were missing our third geek buddy, Shannon McClung. So, shout out to him somewhere uh, in the skies. We love him madly and miss him on the show. But we hope you appreciated everything we had to talk about here on the show. Thanks for all the stream laps. Thanks for the super chat. Thanks for keeping the chat so lively as well. So many great and interesting points from you all as well. Michael, uh, what do we have to tell him? Do you know? What um, and well, you know, if you would like to follow John Roca, you can follow him at the Roca says. You can follow me at MK Tune. You can follow us, uh, the Geek Buddies, on Twitter at Geek underscore Buddies and on Instagram at the underscore Geek underscore Buddies. Uh, don't forget that you guys are what makes this happen for us. So if you want us to keep doing what we are doing, um, definitely hit that like button right this very second. If you haven't yet just go do it it takes you two seconds click look you did it already that's how fast it was uh definitely subscribe to johnny's outlaw nation page check out all the amazing content he's got over there the chat was super lively go ahead and leave your comments on youtube as well let everybody know what you were thinking about this let you know let them know what you thought about the review let everybody know what are your opinions about Jane's hammer, Korg's necro sword, screaming goats, Korg's lover. Like, let's. Uh, there's a lot to talk about in this movie. Do it below. Uh, if you are listening to us on um, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere podcasts are available, leave us some comments and some stars there. It helps us go up in the rankings so more people can find the Geek Buddies. And as always, the best thing that you guys can do is uh, retweet this video, post it on your socials, send it to your friends, and tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. Yeah, and I can't stress this enough. We are going to be at Comic Con next week, so the idea of we shooting, are we are the idea of shooting a video presentation might not be possible. So if you haven't subscribed to our 
the Geek Buddies page, uh, uh, podcast feed, you need to do so because we might be doing these shows that we're doing there just as a podcast because we won't. I mean, I don't video. know. A stream lab of all of us in that hotel room, live, yeah, like a live uh, video stream lab of us just like chilling out. You get all to right. see, you'll get to see Mike Kalinowski drinking Diet Coke. You'll get to see True. John Roca and Shannon McClung in a bed together. Um, there's a lot on for a 24 seven stream. Oh no, we're on a 24 seven live stream. You get to hear the snow. You get to hear me come in later than everybody else because I was at a party and then pass out slightly drunk and snore very loudly until Mike Kalinowski elbows me in the side. Like you just, we got some crazy content coming. You just wait and see. All right. But either way, subscribe, as Michael said, to the podcast, because we got to We got to get those numbers up, people. I'm trying to get us more ads. I'm trying to get us more support. If you love our show, subscribe on the podcast feed because the, uh, they turned us down for a couple of ads on Anchor because our numbers weren't high enough. So we need to get those numbers high enough. I know thousands of you watch our show every week. Thousands of you watch our reviews, especially these reviews. So please, if you haven't subscribed, subscribe to the podcast feed. Get us up with those numbers we would appreciate it madly um and a big shout out to carbon health who powers and sponsors us here on the geek buddies that you if any healthcare questions concerns or needs that you have head on over to uh, uh carbonhealth.com and get them addressed they have 125 locations nationwide 80 plus locations in california alone they have urgent care at all of their locations COVID testing as well they've done over two million tests you can pick up antigen testing kits in the clinic they've got primary care available as well at many of their california clinics and they've also got an app that you can put in your pocket for any healthcare questions or concerns you need uh on the run a, a dock in your pot that can get that squared away for me for you they continue to partner with us because carbon health believes in establishing a positive community and caring about that community and engaging with that community over the love of culture and expressions of life as we do here. And certainly you all tonight, it was a fun expression of life and fun uh, diving into the love of culture of the MCU and Thor Ragnarok. So we appreciate it, Mally. So go and car- go to carbonhealth.com and tell them the Geek Buddy sent you. All right, we're out of here. Y'all take care of yourselves. Be well, and we'll talk to you next time with another brand new spoiler review episode here from the Geek Buddies. Oh, we got to work on that. We're going to work on it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.